What's up my fellow poker enthusiasts, it's Renee aka The Wacko here and together with my co-host Adam Carmichael we present to you the Mechanics of Poker podcast. In this podcast we deconstruct high stakes poker players figuring out what it is about them, how they think, what they do that makes them so successful with an extra focus on the obstacles they faced and the skills they had to develop to surpass them. Over the years, me and Adam have gained a lot of experience in both reaching high stakes poker ourselves and teaching other players to do the same. We have bundled all this knowledge together in our coaching program, The Mechanics of Poker, which is the most complete poker coaching product on the market. If you want to have a chance to work with me and Adam so you can get unstuck and make more progress in your poker career, go over to mechanicsofpoker.com to apply. But without further ado, let's learn from another high stakes player's journey in today's episode. Welcome back to the Mechanics of Poker podcast. Today, we will have a chat with high stakes poker player Kayan Kayanok Mokri. Kayan worked his way up playing online and live cash games, but got a big boost in bankroll when he managed to chop the 10k scoop main event, which allowed him to settle down at the highest stakes permanently. He more recently also got involved, maybe that's also where you might have seen his name, in the live poker scene and not without results. He had a great trip to the Bahamas at the start of the year, final tabling three events and hitting a 100k mystery bounty. Afterwards, he also final tabled the Triton 250k and more recently becoming fourth, second, and finally first playing the high road at EPT Barcelona. The thing that Kaya mentioned that sets him apart from the rest of the players is his lack of fear and the ability to take risks, which we will dive deeper in during this conversation. As always, I'm joined with my co-host, co-mechanics of poker coach, Mr. Mindset and Performance, Adam Carmichael. Adam, I'm curious, is being fearless something you either have or don't, or is it trainable in your opinion? That's a good question. I think how we feel fear and respond to fear is somewhat based on our character traits and is somewhat defined. However, how we perceive that fear and how we deal with fear is very much trainable, in my opinion. So yeah, very interested to dive into Kanyan's story today. He's someone who identifies as a fearless person who takes risks. So we'll dive into what he's been able to learn from his own pursuits and some lessons that the audience can go away with in terms of their own ability to take on more risk. So it's more your perspective and how you label the fear that kind of determines the action that you take? Correct, yeah. I think everything's malleable and the fear is almost like how we feel internally in our body. How we perceive that by the mind will then magnify or lessen that. And then how we deal with that fear is based on that interpretation of that. And whether we move into the fear or move away, there's still a, a massive choice point there to, to work with. So yeah, be interested to see how Cayenne relates to this, whether he has fear at all. Maybe he's just one of those guys who doesn't feel the fear response. Therefore, he's got nothing to work with. But most of us feel fear and we need to figure out ways to step into it. Very curious indeed. Before we start today's podcast, I would like to give a big shout out to our sponsor, GTO Wizard. We are proud to announce a technological breakthrough. Introducing GTO Wizard AI. This powerful technology can solve any custom poker spot in seconds to high accuracy. Unlike pre-sold solutions, this allows you to edit the solving parameters. That means you can modify the ranges, change the stack and pot sizes, customize the betting tree, and automatically simplify and optimize your bet sizes. 
Brace yourself. The meta is about to change. So sign up to GTO Wizard using the link below, gtowizard.com slash mechanics. Get 10% off on your first month and join the weekly coaching webinars of which one per month is with me. Really looking forward to educating you guys there. But without further ado, let's get into today's episode. All right, yeah. Kion. Hello, hello. Thank you for coming on the pod, man. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Kion, I, I believe uh, I first got familiar with you a couple of years ago. I was uh, doing Twitch streaming on the 500NL Zoom streets, and uh, I was regularly playing against you, I remember. From what I recall, you were a player who would not give up the pot without a fight. And I was curious, like, has this aggressive style always been your natural inclination towards playing the game? Or is it something that you learned through working your way up or to maybe studying the game that this was a good approach? Yeah, so I remember those times. Those were good times. It was like right before COVID or right after. I'm not sure. Yeah. I remember coming into your stream, trolling and writing some comments and things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do recall. Yes. <laughs> that is like my MO, like right things in chat and have fun at the tables yeah no i um almost forgot the question yeah no you know i've uh, always been a guy who's like learning by doing preferably playing by against better players and the and i found out like being a, a more aggressive than like more passive is like the better route to go because you learn a lot of like things when you're being aggressive you see where like people's tendencies are you see where they're afraid of calling or like not afraid but just like you can use like a lot of bluff spots where people overfold a lot and like you can use that to your advantage because you when you're in the same situation you can fold more and like my whole strategy on 500 zoom was redlining like basically i was losing on blue line and winning on red line because people were just like automatic playing like all the folds and playing too tight you know like because they knew they had some recreational would like pumped off a stack after anyway like it was probably not the best approach and I wouldn't do that today. But at that time, right after COVID times, it really seemed to work out very well, except for like against Bonk who would overcall him, David Jones, because these guys were aware that I was doing this. But all in all, it was a strategy that worked well at that point. Like I was uh, doing very well at the five on Zoom because people were just overfolding for some reason and it wouldn't stop. And you never had this quote quote problem yourself that you were naturally leaning towards because it's a it's a general pool tendency to overfold and under aggress, but you seem to not struggle with that. Was that like something that ever since you started playing poker came natural to you? Or did you was that really like a strategical adjustment? Like, hey, I believe, you know, this is kind of what the pool's doing. So let me let me actually be very aggressive. So so the thing is I started playing at poker like I would say, so I was playing as a recreational, as a student around 2015, like I was playing like, let's say weekly and I was a student and I was playing very splashy, you know, like live games, you know, where being aggressive, like was like almost a, you had to be like, you were, you had to fight for pots and it was a lot of freestyling and this and this and that. So I think. After a while, I just understood like people's fear of money and losing money just like became like a thing I wanted to exploit as much as possible because especially like deep in tournaments, you can see like people play very differently when it comes to like, because a lot of players say that like the money doesn't go to their head, but 
100% surely it doesn't because it do- even does with me. And I'm like, maybe like not that afraid of losing money, but it still like affects everyone. Like if you have a big piece of yourself or you're playing like a very big game that's very big to you. And so basically I'm just trying to like use like a strategic advantage by like finding out where people are weak and not and just try to use that to my advantage as much as possible. Maybe it became like a bit like, uh, what do you say? Like in general, like in the 500 Zoom this is how it worked and this is how I do it. I could have maybe adjusted more against other opponents, but like, yeah, so this just became like my way of playing for many years. Like I would say from 2018 till mid 2021, I was playing over aggressive. I'm probably still playing like, a bit too aggressive but like it's way i can give up bluffs now at that time i wouldn't give up bluffs like I would yeah just, you you you've, you you've added more nuance you you punted yeah. up enough in spots where like i think this spot though maybe i should stop punting here basically yeah basically and you played a lot with me so you understand like i'm gonna take my spots and i'm gonna find bluffs where most people don't you know i'm just gonna play but now i've been like I've been working a lot on my game since COVID, but at, during COVID, when I was playing 500 Zoom, it didn't help me that much, like using solvers that much because people were just doing the same. They wouldn't like move on. They would just, you had these uh, typical regs. I, I'm not sure if I should name names, but like maybe for example, Sanctity, you remember that guy? Mm-hmm. He would just like never bluff and just call too much. So, mm-hmm. so you know, you could just make a few adjustments. So I was basically just overfolding and over bluffing. Like for, I would say, two and a half years of my career. Which like is, uh, I would say, is a good strategy. Basically, whenever people show weakness, you attack a lot. And whenever they show interest in the pot, you're like, hey. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. I, I actually remember, I don't know if you remember, but when I started streaming, I had various tags, various colors, and people were always trying to debate like what the tags were. And I remember you were the purple tag. And purple tag <laughs> yeah. is, uh, listen, if this guy sticks money in the pot, don't try to <laughs> rationalize it too much. Just be like, this guy probably shows up with something funky. Fuck it, I mean. <laughs> yeah, I remember asking about this purple tag maybe like 10 times and you would never tell me. But good to find yeah, Exactly, know, but yeah. at some point people were like, <laughs> some people made it sort of their job to kind of figure out and they slowly start to see patterns like, hey, this, this, this uh, I remember what was the other guy, Kenyan guy and Mokri guy, they all have like the same tags. It's like, hmm, okay, yeah. Sancti has the same tag. The other guy has the same tags. Like, okay, yeah, they have certain tendencies that make me tag them a certain way. Yeah, they, that was the thing I remember. I think it was Sanctity who had the same tag or something. There was some guy I really... Yeah, no, you were like you were you were a bit you were a bit offended. Like, why the fuck does he yeah. earn the same color as me? <laughs> yeah, I was like, maybe. Yeah, I'm not expecting like a top top uh, best rag color, but I'm like, come on, man. it wasn't tagged on. Uh, it wasn't like tagged on ranking or anything. It was just like certain tendencies that would lead me to tag a player a certain color, so that it's. You know when I see when I see blue, when I see purple, when I see yellow, there's an automatic sort of train of thought that goes into my head, like oh this guy's purple, and then it's kind of an accumulated way of okay this guy's purple, so he probably you know approaches the game in a certain way. Like yeah, but you know I, I do, I do the exact same thing. Like I have certain tags on people who have like their tendencies, which I think though it's not like it's that way, but it's something I think and how they perceive me as a player 
you know, mm -hmm. because I, I, I'm very well aware of my image. Many people don't think so, but I'm very like well aware of what people think about me, you know? So when they think I overbluff too much, I'm probably just going to like, without them even realizing, I'm just going to like adjust all the time, you know? So that, yeah, which that's is like, actually, it's, it's actually a very good style, especially if you play in a pool that's overly passive, you'll naturally be very aggressive. But then there's a couple of guys who approach the game a bit more like you as well. And they also fight more for pots. And if you can spot those, then your image actually can play in your favor if you, you know, change some things up in your strategy. Yeah, so especially in live poker, you notice you notice very quickly who's who and who's doing what and who's not doing this and who's like talking to you and who which way they're talking to you. You know, you can get a lot of information. I'm always friendly at the table trying to talk to everybody, you know. But like it's not like I do it for strategic reasons. I'm just doing it to keep myself like entertained and like try to have fun, you know. If for me, if it isn't fun, I'm not being, I, I couldn't sit there for like 12 hours playing day one of the like 5k main event. It, it, it would crush my soul. So if I can't have fun, I'm probably not going to do it anymore either, you know? Yeah. And I think, so uh, especially also, I, we heard this actually a lot throughout various guests uh, that we had on on the pod who said, yeah, especially recreational players, they're there to have fun. So part of your job is also to have fun with them, right? If they don't have fun, it's like you said, if, if I don't have fun, I don't even bother. So a lot of players have the same mentality. So then if no one has fun at the table, then people stop showing up, which is obviously not great. Yeah, it's, it's like the, this thing, though. Like, I, I played some private games all over my, like, up in my career. And, like, if everybody's drinking and if everybody's straddling and you're, like, one of the few pros, you know what you have to do. You follow the line. You just do the same thing. Because, like, if you're there to sit and, like, grind, like, grind out last EV of every single spot, it's... You know, people are not interested in playing with those types of people. The thing about me is that I've always been able to adjust to, like, make people like you and be liked at the table. Some people just might actually not like having me there at all, you know, because I can be, ve I can be like, very, like, talkative and like, yeah, maybe a bit annoying even, you know? It's a bit more polarizing, right? If you put yourself out there, yeah. if you have a strong character, there, there will always be people who get, who dislike that. Yeah, obviously, and this, you know, this is, um, this is the thing, like, you can't be liked by everybody, and you gotta, like, try to make it fun for you and for them, and try to make it enjoyable for everybody, you know, that's the point of poker, you like, recreationals are not coming there to try and win every pub, they're trying to have fun, learn the game, you know, and they think it's fun to play with pros, who give them, like, the attention, kind of, in a, like, if you know what I mean, like, it's not like, you can if they ask you about hands and what did you have, you can just show them and tell them. Like they want to see those things, you know. And yeah. I don't mind at all, you know. This is this has been always my like, I think best quality as a poker player. Like I, I'm not that serious all the time. It's like when I'm playing online against the best pregs, I'm probably not gonna do the same. But you know what I mean. It's like yeah, you 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 like, you understand how to read the environment and adjust to the environment like a chameleon. You know, you blend in nicely. You you provide yeah would like to see you provide. You are, you actually mentioned this as one of your qualities that actually set you apart. You mentioned that from other players, which is being a nice guy and fun to be around and to play with. And you also mentioned that you don't care or look for small edges everywhere as that can hurt you in the long run. Of right? Course, this, this, like... this is something that you mentioned. I'm curious, like how does that, how has that benefited in your career and how, how can players acquire these skills? 
so so the thing is it's like it's not like i'm trying to do this this is just how i am as a person you know mm -hmm. i'm i've always been like very including and just like trying to be nice to everyone and like you know just make it fun for everyone because this is why we play poker okay we play to make a living yes but we also play started playing the game because it was fun you know you have to go back to the roots and if you can't keep this same motivation about something or like do it the way you used to do it you're gonna get bored pretty quick you know if everything is all about strategy and just like exploiting your opponent for 0.1 bb you know it's just i mean this is not what i especially in live poker i'm talking specifically about live poker now you know if you're playing like very tough games yes you have to compete and yes they're strategic and you have to be like very focused yes but i'm talking like more specifically about live games where you're trying to have fun and the way this has benefited me is like people want me in their games you know because okay everybody starts drinking everybody starts straddling oh they want to change the game to five card plo or whatever i'm always in you know in the beginning i was torching money in this game you know i was just torching but i was winning in the no limit game so i was just like giving action on both ways you know this is just to like make it more fair you know like a fair playground you know mm -hmm. it's like let's say a professional basketball player is like playing with one hand against a guy is recreational if they're playing about money basically mm -hmm. you know what i mean no yeah i i i get what you mean and i can definitely see how this Definitely in the short term might cost you maybe some EV, but in the long term, it will definitely gain you a lot of EV. But I think the main takeaway here is that maybe we should stop thinking about EV all the time and mm. also think about maybe the bigger picture. That's kind of the message that I think you're trying to tell. Yes, correct. I'm trying, I've always been that guy who's trying to see the bigger picture. You know, I see all of these guys using like hours and hours in solvers. And I've always been like the guy who's been like, okay. What is the best way to learn? It's like by doing something in practice, right? Okay, you're going to lose a little bit of money in this lineup, for sure. But imagine how much you're going to learn, you know? This is like the Phil Galpon strategy of how he learned poker back in the days. He's, I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, but he's said a lot of things about this. He used to battle like players he maybe knew was better than him or at least put it up as an advice. Mm -hmm. Because you learn a lot of like things maybe the solvers can't teach you, like where they deviate and where it's good to deviate and where it is too good to use like a basic knowledge of the solver. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes, and so, I it's do. also very different if you see something in a solver or you're being put in a situation by someone, right? It has the complete experience. You see the hand, you sort of see what the solver does. And, but you also have the experience of like, oh, this is a pretty annoying situation to be in. Or like, oh, this guy owed me pretty hard here. What, what What's going on? So you have the full experience. It's like 4D instead of 2D. Yes, correct. And then it's like, okay, uh, solvers are good for like purpose of like understanding why it does in like uh, in the equilibri equilibrium or whatever. And then, yeah, of course, it's a great tool. But I, I see like, I don't know how many guys I've talked to from like, let's say Norway or all over the world. And they're just like sitting there playing like hundred zoom and they're like trying to implement like deep solver strategies. And you know, what's the most dangerous thing about this is like, they don't know how the strategy actually works in fully. They try to use one part of it there and they're not sure to what do on turn and rivers, you know, if, you know what I mean? They're yeah. Just like, they, 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 they just execute something on the flop or on the turn without thinking about, okay, 
for example, a hand can take a certain line on the flop because it has certain benefits on how you then can play turn river. But if they just copy the flop and then on the turn they butcher it, then like, okay, yeah. well, if you're going to do this on turn or river, then maybe you should not play the flop in this way because part of the EV of this flop play is what you do on the river. That's kind <laughs> of what you're saying? Yeah, and instead of like using simplified strategies and then learning from that instead and see how people react by... So I don't know if you remember, but like, let's say 2020, early 2020, it was like people were using a lot of one-thirds, you know? A lot, like a lot. Nobody was over-betting flop, no one was potting the flop, nobody was betting big and checking. It was like a lot of like one-third sizings. I don't know, you remember this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, this was like a very big thing. And then once people started realizing like they can bet big and check, the problem has become like many players just like, bet big with their entire range instead. What they don't understand is like, you're supposed to check sometimes. This is what makes this strategy good. Mm -hmm. Like, Yeah, the fact that big. you get in the check line. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, you have like this much check and this much big bet. But people just tend to like, oh, I've learned this. People do this. I'm going to do this all the time. You know, this is... Yeah, they learn a to trick. Be balanced. Yeah, they learn a trick or two and they're trying to be balanced, but they're just like, not at all, you know? This is the problem. Yeah, and especially, like, you should always think about, okay, what kind of consequences does my strategy have to his range? So, for example, there's many strategies that can be plus EV. So, let's say you do use a strategy where you you open a lot for, for let's say you open a lot for a min raise and follow it up with a lot of small betting, okay? That means that on yeah. turn river, the range that we will face will still be quite wide because you only min raise sure. free and you only met at small on the flop. So... <laughs> Being a bit more aggressive on a later street than fighting for pots, bluff catching, bluffing, it's going to be important. Whereas if you open 4x and pot every flop, then the range that you face on Turner River is probably going to be a bit more tighter. So I would imagine less significant overbluffing. So you could use that strategy, but then if you do that, you sh your river fold should be higher in the 4x pot than on the min race small bet then you should obviously fight more on the river because this range is wider so this is kind of like an example of consequence of an earlier street strategy it can be good depending on how you play the later street it, correct it's not like this strategy is better or this is better or whatever it depends on like your opponents and how well they adjust and everything but this was what you said there was basically my strategy throughout 500 zoom i was i had 85 percent c bet on flop or something something crazy and then i had like i would say 66 percent continue on turns for like 75 percent or over bets you know mm -hmm. and this was just like because their the range was so wide when they called the flop one third and you would just like win a lot of immediate flop. and they, they would more or less raise too much when they had it mm -hmm. and when they didn't have it you could just like yeah they, they were playing very capped on flop most of the time you know mm -hmm. some players were not obviously some players were yeah some players were like hey this is Kaya Mokri let's uh let's slope a little bit more you know <laughs> but like yeah. again this is like okay you might then donate <laughs> some money here and there but the correct strategy versus a very aggressive strategy like the one you're explaining is very hard to execute because usually if you would no lock then in the solver it says fold zero well nobody nobody folds zero right yeah, that's, no, that's, that's impossible that's like thing, oh, yeah guy significantly over bluffs oh fold zero yeah still you see people folding so the, the correct counter exploit is not made yeah, so the thing is you still have to put money in the pot you know people are like they put their emotions through their money you know it's like it's still money you know they 
they see like a let's say when you're playing NL10K, you're losing a car if you lose a stack. You know, it's like it's not small money. Still have to put money in the pot, you know, and that's the that's the thing. People are are trying to be as robotic as possible, but still there are emotions. Like you see, like the richest guys, they they tend to have like a very well balanced thing, uh, like money control when it comes to this. Leave their emotions out. But if you see a new guy just start playing these stakes, you can like you can hammer hard on this guy. You know, it's like the new kid on the street and. Yeah, you could let, 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 let's see how comfortable he is when I put him to a decision for a nice car. Let's see, yeah, let's see. Yeah. And then, and then the hero calls, she was like, Okay, well, this guy, yeah. this guy's earned my respect. Yeah, it's like it's like very polarizing. This thing, either they're just gonna call you down no matter what, or they're just gonna fold too much and play a bit tighter. You know what I mean? It's like it's very rarely in the middle, but it's like usually one or the other. This is also the thing, like, like, I know you also play uh, some heads up, but in a ring game, it's also, let's say, for example, I would play in a game that's very big and maybe not the most comfortable, but I have to play the game because, I don't know, let's say there's a couple of recreationals, but then you're also at the table. Then it's very easy to also be like, oh, yeah, Kyan is going to overgress it. Fuck it, I'll just fold and wait for my hand against the other recreational player, right? It's the easy way of living, you know? It's it's like, like people are... So the thing is, like the hum, like for humans mostly, they like to live comfortably. You know, everything is like all about comfort. And you know, if you know by like a hundred percent certainty, like if I fold against this guy, I'm gonna get his stack probably by the end of the night. You're still gonna do the fold if you knew one hundred percent. But some sometimes you have the ego thing, like, oh, I'm so annoyed. I'm I don't want to get pushed around anymore. I just gotta get him. You know. These things matter. I know people say they don't mostly because most people won't admit it, but these things really do matter. Like, okay, this guy bluffs too much. Now I'm done with it. I'm going to get him, you know? Yeah, I I feel like especially live, this is, I feel like online, especially modern modern day online is more like, oh, well, I have this combo. I have to call uh, 33%. Let's roll the RT. Well, I rolled the call. And it doesn't matter yeah. what Mokri was thinking in terms of, oh, I'm going to put into a decision or did blah, blah. He's just like, oh, this is probably a frequency call. Let me frequency call, move on. You know, that is a bit more where poker is moving, where life is still very much uh, more emotions so, Yes, correct. And when you're playing online poker, you're, you're playing against you're playing against top 0.1% players in the world. Probably even less, like, I would say most of the 200 Zoom ranks are like top 0.5% players in the world. Like maybe even le- maybe 0.2. These guys are getting so good, all of them. Like they're getting very good. So this it's is like good the in, but for, then for example, maybe if you put them in a in a live environment where there's more chaos, then yes. maybe you know their strategies fall apart. Because that was an interesting point that actually I wanted to touch on. Because the modern day trend is more like okay, poker is very complex, right? And yep. the solution is let's simplify the game tree. Let's simplify everything so we can make it a bit more graspable. Where you are way more, you it feels like you embrace way more this complexity and kind of embrace the chaos uh, and play way more of a complex strategy. So I would just say, how, how are you able to execute a complex strategy and what, in your opinion, are kind of the ups and maybe also downsides of, of this approach? So the thing is, when I'm playing online, let's say I play like a three-handed game, 25-50 or whatever, I'm going to start playing like as close to good as I know, you know? Like there are certain 
things that I don't know. There are certain things other players don't know, you know. I do use my time in solvers. I'm not like a complete freestyler, but the the comparison is like the online games are very tough. You're playing against very, very, very good players who have been studying a lot, who has, you know, they have tried and they've played so many hands, you know, they have the experience. So the difference is like, I try to play as well as I can, like closer to the game tree when I'm playing online. While, while I'm playing live, I'm trying to like, okay, where is this guy? Is this guy a super professional? Is this guy a, like a mid-stakes reg? You know, it's like you put them in like categories, you know? Who is this guy? What is he going to do? How is he going to react? How is he, how does he like uh, see me? Do he, Does he think I'm too aggressive? Does he think I'm too tight? Or, you know, is he just kidding around? You know, this, this is the thing. You got to like, in live, you got to kind of, find out who's who and you have these super serious guys live as well especially in the high rollers these guys are so good man they're just so good and then you have to try to play as good as possible but you know i'm trying to compete and i've always enjoyed it and uh i think by by doing this i'm learning like way quicker than most people this has been like you you learn way quicker you just you see what they're doing and you adapt and you just like oh maybe because the thing is, I try to not criticize plays before I kind of understand how they work, you know? Mm -hmm. Maybe this is something I could implement or this is something I shouldn't implement, you know? This is, so it's like a lot of learning by doing. And basically I was battling Davy Jones and Nacho for a long while on 25, 50 and 51. And you know, I got crushed by Davy Jones. Like Davy Jones, especially, he just crushed me. Like he really did, he just, destroyed me in the three-handed format he was just way better than them and from the 500 zoom days he was still just way better than the rest he was just always been very good and i think he has something on me and he just knows like how to adjust against me very well especially him i would say so would you say and then say this is also a quality that you see in like better players that they just you have a certain game and like you said everyone's game is flawed in a certain way and maybe he understands a flaw in your game that maybe you don't understand and he capitalizes on that. And that's kind of what sets better players apart. Yeah. So the thing is, I have to say, I played against, uh, I didn't play that much against Linus, but I played some and I played a lot with David Jones, a lot. And I would say those two guys, they just like know how to adapt very well. You know, they're just like, and I played button clicker heads up too. And that guy, the same thing. Like they just know, you know, they played so many hands. And they just know how things work. And they've seen my, I, I'm assuming they've seen my player type so much. They just like use like a very like, let's say general strategy like I would do on five on Zoom against me. Mm -hmm. I, I would say I had more of those leaks before, like maybe a year ago. But since then, I've been just like trying to work a lot of my game because I, I was noticing I was struggling a bit on the highest stakes. Mm -hmm. So the last, let's say six months, one year, I've been working a lot on my game and trying to like, okay, if I really want to compete both online and live, I kind of got to you know, step up your game in certain, yeah, in certain yeah. areas. I, I was getting lazy and entitled and like, you know, I was getting very lazy. I, I must say I was getting very entitled. I was getting attention and I was, you know, and like, I made it now. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm here. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the thing, you know. I and the thing is, like, I I did very well in a couple of tournaments, 
which has like boosted my, uh, let's say financial situation a lot, which compared to many cash regs, they, they just grinded it up. Like I grinded it up too, just like them. Honestly, I really did. And then I got, but I jumped like through the stages quicker, I would say, because mm-hmm. of those like tournament scores. But you know, I mean, there is some luck in this, but like, yeah, if you play enough tournaments, you're going to get like the EV from that too. I mean, it's also interesting that you mentioned like, okay, when I play a tough lineup online, you try to play more like the, like, like the solver game tree, but that's also because the better your opponent is, the, the more solver considerations become relevant, right? And I feel like in your decision-making, this is something that a lot of players get wrong. And this is something that you do very well. And I guess that's also how you transition well between online life. The first thing you have to ask yourself is, oh, who am I up against? Because depending on the answers to that question, your train of thoughts should go either down one direction or the other. If if you're indeed up like a, like a, against a GTO Whiskit, then by all means, follow the solver. But... Often that's not the case. So then you have to ask yourself more, well, I know how theory works. Like I said, there is a lot of value in that, understanding the solver, understanding how theory works. But then it's way more, I understand how theory works. This guy is screwing up either too much to the left or the right, and I should now start adjusting, right? That's kind of what you're you're explaining and something that you say that maybe, especially at the lower stake Zoom pools, people are just following the solver too much and not really thinking about these type of things. Yeah, so Master Dog has said this before. I remember watching some of his videos. That guy's an absolute troll, by the way. <laughs> this guy's an absolute troll. But uh, I find it very amusing. But uh, yeah, so he said like, I remember him saying like, okay, you can try to play a strategy that you don't know how it works, or you can try to simplify against weaker opponents and just like earn the most money in every situation or the way you know is the most money. Because... Mm. More often, I wouldn't say more often than not, but I, I mean, say if you're playing against very weak players and those things, you just like simplify, you know, because they're they're just gonna play like very weak compared to you, and you, like, yeah. My point is just like people are very like, oh, solver, 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 this, 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 that, the blah, blah, blah. Yes, the solver is very important. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying, like, there are many situations where you're just like not doing the best thing and by not doing the best thing and trying to play like a solver will mean also that you forget to exploit you know like exploiting is a big part of poker still you know even in 2023 it's a big part of poker yeah it's in my, in, in my opinion it's kind of the thought process that you go down if you work a lot of solvers your thought process is often led by i have to now do this or they face something what do i have to do and then they think about what would the solver do but the first thing you have to take consideration, well, what the fuck? What 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 kind of range am I actually up against? Let's start thinking about that. What the fuck does this guy actually have? And then yes. actually what to do will then come quite naturally based on, huh, I think he's quite strong here. Or, ha, huh, I think he's quite mm-hmm. weak here. Or, ha, huh, maybe I should just bet very big with his hand in my vacuum because I'm playing against a guy who's, you know, clearly approaching the game different than a solver. It, exactly, you know? It's just like, I think people are just trying to feed their egos by like, oh, the solver would do this, so I'll do the same. And then they go in, and the guy is like probably drunk on a Saturday night playing 200 Zoom, and he's, yeah, he's going to call you down, you know? <laughs> and you're bluffing. <laughs> and, yeah. and you go, oh, I played it good. No, you did not, <laughs> you know? It's you, like, you didn't, see, yeah, yeah, you, you did. It's, you, you only isolated the piece of the information 
in a puzzle that's way bigger than the actual piece you focused on, which was, well, I have the best unblockers, I have the best blockers, let's go, where the puzzle is a little bit bigger. I mean, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, the best, best players in the world are the guys who, like, have a very good 50-50 balance of this, you know? Like, I, I've said this before, like, this, these guys who I talked about, like, Davey and Linus, and Barack as well, he's so good, like, and for a long time, I thought he was like very tight, but the guy, the kid is just brilliant, you know, he's just very smart and he understands these things like, and these guys understand these things because they see like the bigger picture. They think about you know? different things. They, they take different things in consideration at different weights than you are taking in consideration. Exactly. You know, and if you're going to become like the best, best player in the world, you got to like use a like it's got to be finesse you know it's like okay solver is one thing but what about this you know people overfold here even though the solver always calls you know it's just like because they people think they think they under bluff here and they're using like these like general thoughts and like how people perceive the game in their advantage you know mm -hmm. and this is what they're supposed to do they, they just they're just like yeah like i said seeing the bigger picture seeing the bigger like, picture. generating I, more I, I like that yeah and generating more money and like more EV in like, yeah. And honestly, there's, it's super smart. That's, that's how it's supposed to be. Um, I mean, there is a, well, there is a, let's say for example, you start and at some point the solver can definitely help boost your game, but then there's a phase beyond the solver sort of. Yes. Exactly, which you have to yes. reach, which at some point you have to just let go. Not everybody can't remember what the solver does a hundred percent of the time. It's not possible. It is literally impossible. To mm -hmm. do play as a sub, even in chess, these guys like you have Magnus, like the best player in the world. Like, dude, just he confuses people, you know, in the beginning because he just plays like something they're like they're like confused, they don't know about this because they studied probably something else, and then he just puts them out of their comfort zone. Like, putting people out of their comfort zone is like where you're gonna see them at their lowest most of the time. So, then like Stefan is like the, the Magnus of poker. Oh, dude, Stefan. Oh, don't get me started on this guy. Oh, my God. This guy just... <laughs> I I mean, I don't know how many times I've played with this guy, but every time I'm done, I needed an aspirin. Because <laughs> he's just <laughs> all over the place. This guy is just... And I've played some heads up with this guy, and he's just all over the place, man. He just has, like, 15 different moves. But honestly, I would say the guy is pretty smart. He, he does that, yes. He just puts people out of their like comfort zone and just and he's been trying these things for years you know he yeah, knows yeah. how people react and how he's going to counter react you know but yeah you know if you meet him in the right wrong mood the guy is just a beast you know he's just going to be like playing very well and he's yeah like he is like a super exploit but no theory guy. He's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he so so he he was here. Then the theory helped him, and he went beyond. But he went beyond beyond. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. That guy is. I would almost say crazy. I don't. I don't know, but I do not want to live. I mean, the line life. between crazy and brilliant, you know, it's a thin line. Yeah, yeah, it's a thin line. Yeah, obviously. I, saw, no, I, saw, I think I saw a video of one of these uh, YouTube channels the other day. There's like he showed a hand. Played at 10 and L, and then they were making fun of. But then, but then he suddenly said, "But actually, this was a hand not played at 10 and L, but at 40 K and L." And now suddenly it became an interesting hand. Whereas at 10 and L, you thought, "What the fuck are these guys just dunking around?" 
But is that no, it was actually sure paid at 40k dog? now, and then it was suddenly amazing. It, it was MMA sure dog who put post that video a long no, time ago. No, no, I right? think it was um, it's either this uh, two card confidence, I think, or the uh, the finding equilibrium. What one of the two that make made like this this comparison? Oh, okay. And, 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 I, 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 I think I think the main thing was that the they a ten and L you can see the same hand the ten and L has forty k and L, but the difference is obviously the the reasoning or the thoughts that went behind the hand. <laughs> okay, yeah. So it's like it looks like a ten and L hand, but yes. it's like forty k. Well, but he did a great edit, so definitely shout out. I, I, maybe, maybe I can put the link somewhere or something. Also, I, I thought it was very well done. It's like suddenly the transformation, but this was actually at forty k and L. But like yeah, it's, but the, the, it's quite interesting. Like for example, what Stefan does and kind of go full circle what we talked about earlier. If he if he uses certain strategies that make your range in a certain way that you're no longer very much aware of what the ranges are, but he's perfectly aware of what the ranges are. And in the end, if you're very much aware of what the ranges are, you can make great decisions. So if he every time maneuvers in a way that he knows your range and his range perfectly, and you have no fucking clue what you're doing, like I said, you need an aspirin. Uh, yeah. the chances are quite big that you will screw up and not him because he knows yeah the, the, I remember being at the Bahamas I just like played some I think I just made fourth in the, like the 25k so I had like a lot of stars balance you know and then Good suddenly idea. I see Stefan in the 10k lobby heads up and I've been practicing my heads up game for a long time you know I've been battling like against the best this is how I've been learning heads up this is by then I was like okay you know what? I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna play Stefan a little bit, you know, and we go railroad crazy, man. We play for ten hours straight. I'm sitting there in my on my MacBook, like in, at the Bahamas, playing Stefan, and we're just writing shit to each other on the chat, and we're just going back and forth and blah blah blah. And then he just at the end he gets very upset and just writes something. <laughs> so like the guy is just. He just has ten different moods, like you know. I don't, I don't know, but he—he's a super funny character, and I always enjoy playing with him because you always have to think, you know. It's not like this and this and this and how I'm gonna construct my range and blah blah blah. It's like, okay, dude, it's like you raise the button, he calls, and the flop is like ten, ten, three. He just leads out one big blind. All of a sudden, you can just lead out one big blind, and then you raise him, and then he insta clicks you back, and you click him, and he clicks you, you know. It's just like a freestyle show out of dimensions. The guy is, just, and he makes it super fun to play. He's just like super humorous and like, yeah, it's always fun to play with him. And even in six max, man, it just depends on which mood you get him, you know? He yeah, has so, like so basically of... he has 10, 10 different strategies and they're all related to 10 different moods. So he, he wakes yeah, up, yeah. just puts his feet out of bed and like, which mood am I in today? Yeah, I'm in a click, 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 click at mood. It, it, yeah, and you don't, and you know, you can say a lot of things about the guy, but like all of the strategies are like good. Like it's not like super just dust all over the place. He's just like, he's really thinking, you know, and he has already made up his mind kind of, like, he already knows what he's going to do. And I think this comes from like, he's like an OG of the online streets, I would say now. Yeah, you, you, like you, you, can, you have to learn this. There, there's yeah, he's definitely OG. I remember when I was uh, mainly playing high stakes. He, I think he was just moving up actually. Yeah, he's uh, as I would say, he's pretty good. Yeah, and and he's one of the like you would say like not like the norm, you know? Yeah, no, like, no. <laughs> I think I think everyone agrees that he's not the norm. Yes, but he's also one of the biggest winners on six max 
of all time, I think, if I'm not mistaken. He's, um, yeah, I think he's a pretty intelligent guy. Let me just put it like that, yeah. So unlike uh, popular advice, which is usually nowadays, no, you know, you have to study population, you have to game select. These are usually two, two very important things, especially the game selection one. No, you have online poker stuff. If you, if you don't, if you play in tough games, you can't win. You clearly took a different advice, uh, a different route, right? You said playing against tough, tough opponents, you kind of explained the benefits of that. But in order to jump in a game with Stefan, you need confidence, right? Of course, yeah. So how does one gain the confidence to decide to jump in those games? You know, it's like all over my, like, let's say low points and high points. It's always been all about like competing and just trying to like evolve. Like money comes and goes in a certain way. You can always make money. This is like the thing, like gaining this, like gaining the confidence of playing like these against these super super good players is like it comes from a way no, it comes from a place like okay what do i want do i want to get better or do i want to like stay in my lane you know when do i want to evolve when am i going to try you know and if you don't try and fail you will never get there you know it's like you have to try and fail everybody's done it i mean if you look at the top 10 pros in the world right now They've probably tried and failed many times. You know, you just don't know it. You think it's like been all this. It's probably been like all around this too with them, you know? And yeah, you know, I, I was at some point and I was like, okay, I think I can do it. And then I tried and I failed miserably. Maybe I would say three, four, five times, you know, even at the highest stakes. But then I always took like, okay, I took a breath and calm down and then I started over again, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just like, but at some point you just start to stabilize yourself, you know? You start, at the end you stabilize yourself. You're like, okay, this is what I, what I did wrong that time and now I'm not going to do the same mistake, you know? And you just learn from every process you learn. You yeah, know? so so it's important. The, the learn is important, right? Not not to just jump in, not learn anything, jump in, not learn anything because this is not the way to improve. No, it's like, I remember being like the guy who was like, everybody was like, okay, this guy's just a punter, blah, 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 blah. I remember these, these, these stages, like at the highest stage, like people were thinking this obviously. And it was certainly true because I was just doing like a lot of minus EV things. I was playing heads up against button clicker, flying llama, you know, it's like, you know, I was doing these things, but you know what? This made me good enough to beat other players now, you know? And they would play me at the same stakes. You understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I I gave away some EV, but I learned a shit ton and I got I got friendly with them, you know? And they, you know, and when you get friendly with people, they, they tend to help you as well and you try to help them and it's like a two-way street. Yeah, you, but you make I a relationship, to... right? Relationships are usually exactly. two-way. Exactly, and if you're being, if you're nice to people, and they're nice to you, it's a friendship, you know? It's like, uh, I would say that is a friendship. Maybe not like you're going to lunch every day or every week, but you know, you have a friendly mm-hmm. environment and you have good players and maybe they can learn something from me instead also, you know? Like and the if way we follow, I think. If, if we follow then like the, the the team of what, you, what you've been mentioning, the bigger picture in the end, the quality of your friendships kind of the, determine to a certain degree the quality of your life and if you go very big the end end goal is to have a good life right 
So exactly, you know, and the the thing is, if if we're both learning from each other, it's a quid pro quo, and we're both gaining something from each other. You know, it this is a win win. People have like, and this is like a great thing, like having a good social network and being liked, and you know, and having some enemies too. You know, you can't be liked by everybody. You know, this is how how the world works, and you know, it's the thing is, I think I've always been good at like understanding what other people do and implementing it myself you know mm. I, I i don't i've never been a fan of books i've never been a fan of like sitting in the solver five hours straight this is not my thing like you know and if this is not my thing i think after a year or so i would be very bored if i was sitting every day after a session two hours there three hours there you know it's just going to be too much for me so instead of that i'm just like chopping it down to like maybe half an hour there half an hour there when i have some spare time and I talk poker with very good players, you know, and hopefully they're learning something from me too. And maybe from the live aspect, I can learn them something, you know, it, it's a quid pro quo thing. And, you know, it's like, yeah, this is also, this is also how I see the game, like from learning against uh, better players than me and mostly by playing them, mm-hmm. you know, because most of the time there's going to be one or two players better than me, but not all of them, you know? Yeah, yeah. So how much am I actually losing here? You know, you know what I mean? It's like Yeah, yeah. especially if there's a big spot at the table, you're at least guaranteed plus EV. And then, you know, given if you lose some and then you can learn against the other. So you win against him it's, and you learn against the other. Great situation. And I'm losing now, you know? Maybe in a year I'm not losing at the against the same guy anymore. You know what I mean? And and that's because you're playing in this game. And I think Often, especially lower stakes, I'm sure there's a lot of players who listening with quite some admiration because they struggle themselves of trying to accumulate the confidence to take another step. Now, usually what them players do, I would say they they feel like a certain fear. They try to prepare away the fear or study away the fear, right? Gain more knowledge just to remove that fear, whereas you embrace more the fear. You mentioned that... I mean, two beliefs, core beliefs that definitely came back is like abundance. You said you can always make money. So losing the money, you have a clear belief. Listen, there's no scarcity there. You can always make money. And you interpretate failure as an opportunity to learn. And I would almost say you interpretate it as a necessity to learn. I remember, I think there's a book. I think I got this from a book, Confidence Gap. They say the act of confidence comes first. The feeling comes after. People often wait that they feel confident in terms of jump into the game, but it is actually through jumping in the game that you gain the confidence to play in the game. So it's, you can wait all you want, but in order to, uh, to kind of acquire this level of confidence, you have to take that leap of faith. And what takes, and what keeps players from taking that leap of faith is then indeed fear, which you clearly override it by uh, the two beliefs that I think I pointed out. The thing, the thing is, okay, let's say you're giving away a little portion of money. You don't need to give away 400k you know you can okay. give away okay with well, 10k so 20K, proportionally 20K. there we still have to talk about what is justifiable in terms of yeah yeah, yeah yeah you know it's like this is the mistake i've i did many times like i i was like but then i started learning okay maybe i take smaller pieces in myself now like this is something i've worked a lot on the last year because in the beginning of this year i made like a super sick amount of money i i made like two i, I like crushed some tournaments at the Bahamas and some cash games in LA. And then it, I, I was winning so much. And then when the high roller scene started, okay, 
I asked, I talked with, I remember talking with Adrian Mateos in Vegas and I was like, okay, because I used to play some turns. I don't play much, but I played some, you know? And then I talked to him like, because we were playing cash games every day, like a one, two, four game. Okay. At uh, Vegas. And then I asked him like, what do you think? I'm, I'm considering trying to start like playing these like 25 K plus, you know? And he was like, yeah, you should try it. They're not, they're, they're very tough, obviously, but some point you're going to be able to handle your own and yeah and that's what i did i tried and in the beginning it was very well but then triton came you know these and i started taking very big pieces of myself like i had big exposure and i went on like a huge downswing let's say like now in the in, in the fall now and then i was just like okay what did i learn okay you need to study this more you need to learn 20 big blinds you need to learn 15 big blinds you need to learn 25 big blinds, you know, you need to learn some ICM, you know, all these things, because this is where the most of the EV comes from, you know, learning these things. And so then I took a three month break after EPT Monaco, more or less two, two and a half months. And I started learning like, okay, very interesting. I started playing some tournaments on a Tuesday, random Tuesday, just to like implement what I've learned and I screenshots and hands, you know, I was always working on becoming better. So People have different way, different ways of studying, but I was always like, I want to learn how this works, how this works, how this works, you know, and this, I'm always interested in learning. I'm a very curious man, you know, maybe not by sitting in front of a computer watching like how the sim works every day, but like watching like YouTube reels, my YouTube highlights of how like good players play, like, you know, and you just learn, you learn a lot by like being interested in like having this like motivation now. So after also this then, then the way you look at the reels, right? You don't look at that entertainment, but you look at it through mm -hmm. a more curious lens that maybe yes. that way you can actually pick something up that someone else just, oh, cool hand. And that's it. Because any way you think about it, like either way, some players are going to have, and I mean, everybody, they are going to have some interesting things to say. If you just like strike them down, like, oh no, this is stupid. This is stupid. This is not how it works. You know, they might have a good point where you're just like, too good and, oh no, I learned this. So this must be wrong. You know, you got to see it from both sides, you know, because there might be some truth in this and that. So I've always been like, okay, even though I don't think this is got, it is a great player. Even I just still listen and just try to let him speak and then make like a, Okay, and think about it a little bit. Okay, maybe this isn't that bad, you know? Maybe this is actually good, you know? Because most of the time, play, all players have some good things to come with. Like, they have, like, some information you don't know anything about. Yeah, they have a different perspective that you can actually learn from. Exactly, you know? And this is, like, being, like, being, like, humble enough to, like, understand, like, okay, maybe I am better than him or maybe he's better than me. But if you just listen and try to see what they do, because they must be doing something right. They're winning money at poker, you know? I mean, yeah. So the question is not, instead of just being, Oh, he's so bad. The question then more becomes, okay, he approaches the poker. He approaches poker in a way that from my perspective is not optimal. However, he is winning a lot. So probably he has a certain perspective that I can learn from. That's kind of that curiosity that you pointed out. That, that's the thing. And even when I talk to my friends, I can say, oh, this guy just made a huge bad play. You know, I just tried to like, I can almost, I'm almost trolling them because I'm trying to like see how they react to when I tell this hand, you know? 
And then I'm just like, because I've all obviously been thinking about it for the last half an hour. Uh-huh. And then it's just like, then I start thinking about it. When, if he says, oh, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe I need to reevaluate, you know? Yeah. Or you, you can ask, you can ask yourself like when, on the which circumstances is this play on the, yeah. On the which assumptions is this play good? Because apparently at certain assumptions that he made this play. So then maybe in a vacuum right now, how the situation was, that play was not optimal, but maybe under certain circumstances or the certain assumptions, this play is actually very good. So instead of just butchering the play, you can say on the, which kind of circumstances is this play actually very good? And can I actually use this? Exactly. You know, and this is like, a lot of poker players have big egos, myself included. Like I would say, like I would say, most of poker players, like especially like accomplished ones, have big egos. Mm -hmm. This is how it is because they feel like they're getting attention. They're like, "Oh, you're so good!" Blah blah blah. You understand, like, mm -hmm. and it's gonna feed your ego. And this is just how it is. But if you just like sometimes take a second and just think, okay, what? Because you're not doing everything right. If you're doing everything right, you would win all the money. Like every time, not every time, but you know what I mean. You just be like, yeah, of course. Like, yeah, like your, your, your mistakes thinking. are part of your win rate, basically. Exactly. And then just like, we're all humans. We're not robots. And you can study that solvers as much as you want. And it's a great, great tool. And I use it myself for sure, especially for this ICM and this short stack game. I've been using it uh, quite frequently the last two months. And, you know, you learn a lot of new interesting things about how, like, how it works, you know? If you just see a pattern, you see, okay, this hand does this, maybe then in certain different situation, this does this. And, you know, it's like, if you just look at something and try to learn what it means, it's just, yeah, you you understand. You just It's hard to explain. No, You've yeah. been playing poker for a long time, and you know what I mean, probably, yeah. Yeah, like, you, I think you have an ability to, to grasp on concepts really well. And again, to make it a bit more holistic and look at it from the bigger picture. Like you're not mm -hmm. trying to study how 953 small blind, big blind, that 20 BB works. No, you're trying to understand how does 20 BB play different from 10 BB or 40 BB. And what are like the main concepts, like the main, the main things that change in my strategy. And then there are certain aha moments like, oh, 20 BB plays different from 40 BB because of these factors. And then you apply these factors in under the gun versus big blind on ace jack 10, but also small blind versus big blind in a limp pot on Zeus 4, right? It doesn't, exactly. it doesn't matter. No. You don't and have to the, study the, uh, 1700 uh, something flops. No, it's like, you know how it is. We've been playing 100 big blinds plus since, yeah, whenever, you know? And then it's like 100 big blind poker is very aggressive and you call bluffs and it's a cash game. The more tournaments is more about stack preservation and try to make like good adjustments because Playing like the game three, three, like when you have 10 big blinds, 20 big blinds, 30 big blinds, it's very difficult. And with ICM, you know, it's like, it's very different, you know? So you try to make more adjustments and simplify way more because it's as too big. The tree. Say, yeah, it's too big and it's too complicated and it, de it changes too much. You know, it changes a lot with ICM, without ICM, close to the money, you know, it's like, it changes all the time. So the only, the only thing you can do is like, like make it as easy as possible for your brain because it's impossible to consume all this information. It is impossible. It, it, you can say whatever you want, but it's impossible. There's no man alive who will ever be able to do this.
And if there is someone doing this, they're most likely cheating. I would say. So it's like you got to make it as easy as your uh, for yourself as possible and try to understand the concept instead of like trying to do whatever the solver does every time, you know? Because in that case, you might blunder more than you do right. And th there was a point where I was just trying to like, I was studying a lot and I was trying to do what the solver did every time. And I was just looking and I was like, man, I fucked this up. I fucked this up. I fucked this up, you know, because I was trying things. I didn't understand the concept. I didn't understand anything. You know, I was just looking at it. Oh, I was like, oh yeah, this is what it does. I'm going to do this. And yeah. This so, like, so, uh, so not study it. This, the, also, it's very important when you go into a study session to think about, okay, what's my desired outcome? The desired outcome is not to learn what to do on this specific board. The desired outcome is to look for patterns and look for concepts that I can apply at 20 BB. Yeah, and just not 20 BB, 30 BB, 40 BB, 100 oh, yeah, exactly. BB, And then you might BB, compare you know? like these, for example, instead of studying a couple of boards, you might take the same situation at 10 BB, 20 BB, 30 BB, 40 BB and see, okay, what are common trends that change? And what is a concept that I can grasp from that, that I can just take in consideration. Like normally I do this, but at 20 BB, this concept for me is more important. So I'll do X and it's not going to be right all the time, but exactly. generally yeah. speaking, you're going to be, it's, yeah. you're going to be better yeah. off doing that than not. Exactly. And then you have the jump from 100 BB to 200 BB, you know, and you see, if you played a lot of live games, you're very used to playing like 200 BB, 300 BB, you know, you're very used to this. And then you have all of these guys who are not used to this, you know, they don't understand the concepts like, and understanding ranges and understand how things work is way better for you, for your learning path, I would say, than to actually just like be focused on what it does all the time. Because people have this like great tool, but they use it in like, in a very wrong manner, I would say. They're trying to copy it instead of understanding like the concept. because. Some of like I've talked to some of like the best players in both heads up and six math, and they're saying like, yeah, we do this. But if you understand like the concept of everything and where people fuck it up, you do you something just, completely you different. Pound yeah. on it, yeah. You just pound on it, you know, and you find some like it doesn't even need to be a big leak, just small leak. In the, it may it might even be a general leak like people have, and they just pound on it, you know, you just pound, pound, pound. If people fall to see bets too much, it's not that bad to oversee bet, you know. It's, yeah, it's yeah, that exactly. easy. So that that's again coming back like, oh, he does this. Oh, this is very bad. Under which circumstance is this actually good? Well, if people are overfolding, well, and then you can reflect, is that actually the case? Well, maybe against me, this handle is not played well because I don't overfold. But versus a general population, I can see why he makes this play. Again, yeah, like an example of how you can learn. And you can see some of the like the absolute top top players in the world, like Adamo and Linus. They're like two of the most aggressive guys. If you think I'm aggressive, they're just like all over the place, you know? They're aggressive in a different way. They're aggressive like in maybe a, a very intelligent way where they know like, oh, he's going to overfold. He's going to do this. He's going to react this. He's going to react this way. You know, poker is very aggressive. People have a hard time understanding this. Poker is extremely aggressive. And that's how it's supposed to be. At the toughest like lineups and these things, people are going to be very aggressive. You're going to have to fight for pots. You're, they're never going to give you, a, in most of the time, not going to give you a free chip for no reason at all. It's just you're going to have to fight. And this is how it's supposed to be. You mentioned, uh, like, in terms of the, the solvers that they then look at it, but they actually will do so the other way around. I know 
you're you're friendly with uh, with Magnus as well. Do you see the same in chess, for example, how he approaches chess? They also consult the machine. Is it kind of the same in chess? Just out of in, curiosity, in, I know it's a little in, bit of a yes, side way, but it's like the thing I said. Like the thing is, he's like, I would say, smartest guy I've ever met. You know, he's just like all over the place, very intelligent. You notice, like, when he sees something and he does it, like, and he just understands things very easily. And you know, and the thing he, I, I've never asked him about this because we don't talk much about chess. We talk more about other normal boy things, to be honest, not about poker that much either. But it's like the way I've understood it, like he puts people out of their comfort zone. So it's all about skill, you know? He reduces variance this way. This is a way for him to reduce variance because he knows he's the better player. And there is some sort of like variance in chess too. Like if the clock is lower or whatever, like classic chess is like, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. So he just tries to confuse people and take them out of their comfort zone because when they're both out of their comfort zone, he will be the better player because you have to use your thoughts and imaginations and theory all in a mix. Because if you have against, because some of these young guys are being like, they're studying theory very hard in chess too, I would imagine, you know? And if you put them in their lane, they're probably going to be like equal or maybe a little bit better, or a little bit worse. So this is variance, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's having the big day? But if you put them out of their comfort zone where they actually have to like, they this is something they've not studied, you know? Then you have to start thinking. Yeah. Think, so you, you know? can have, let's say, for example, you have a default game tree, and then you can try to beat the other person by out studying them in the default game tree, or you can just say, "Fuck it, I changed the game tree." <laughs> yes. And yeah, this yeah, is yeah, yeah. I, I get I what mean, you mean. from what I've from what I've understood, this is what he does. Uh, he does this like sense. he just. Yeah, and it's super smart. It's very intelligent. I would say this is like, yeah, it's like, and it's this is like a private game thing too in poker. Like, if you make the game like with a big ante or like seven deuce or something, you have to start thinking. Stand up game, you have to start thinking. You put people out of their comfort zone. So, like, even the biggest robots, they're gonna have troubles adapting because they're not used to it. Yeah. You know, they get an error. Like error, yeah. error. What the fuck is going on? Why are people standing up and not sitting down? Exactly. You know, it's like, and this is you like probably like that right? in a live game. You see some I, online kit. You're I like, would, okay, let let let's like, see what happens if I introduce this uh, game, this game, this game. Now see, now see what you do. Yeah, exactly. For me, it's never been a problem because I've always been like the guy who adapts. I adapt mm -hmm. to things. I see things and I say, okay, this is how it is now. You either learn it, or you, yeah, it's like. You have to die. learn it. Yeah, it's like, yeah, survival of the fittest thing, you know? It's like, yeah, yeah. okay, if you can't adapt, you're okay, you're fucked. There has been times in my career where I've played big, big live games where, like, let's say it's not been very responsible bankroll management, and it's like, but I never show them that, you know? I never tell them, okay, this, I, I've always been there to fight, and if I lose or win or something, at least always I learn something, you know? I always learn something and I know it's a good spot for me to take, mm -hmm. even though it didn't pan out this time. Yeah. And if you lose the money, you can always make it back. Exactly. You know, it's like, you don't have to lose all the money, but if you just like, you, you need, to, you, you need a little bit of money left to make the money back. So. Exactly. So you, the best way to earn money is to have money. You know, this is just always where it's been. And yeah, I just think like taking some risks when you're younger is like, 
a very smart thing to do. And it's easy for me to say, man, I live in Norway, you know, it's like life is very comfortable here, you know, it's like, this is a bit yeah. different, but it, like, I, I'm not expecting a random guy from Colombia to do the same. And because the, the money he has is like quite important because yeah, and also rock, had, I would say rock bottom looks different in Norway than rock bottom in Colombia. Exactly. You know, and and I've always had good friends who've always been like buying my action or helping me when I've needed it. You know, it's like, this has always been a good thing. I've always been surrounded by good people, you know? So I've never been, I've been at rock bottom myself too, man. And it's, even in Norway, that sucks. But you know what? Every time it happened, I learned something. And it was at younger age mostly. So it's like, it doesn't, it's not the end of the world to go busto when you're 22 23 you know it's not it's not the end of the world me this is not the way for everybody some people are more disciplined and more like duh, duh, duh. but it also takes longer when you do it this way you know most of the time it takes longer if you don't get a good bink if you're a tournament player if you don't get a good bink you're just going to be struggling for a long time you know but it's also important to ha have a risk reward premium you know it's like okay how much am i going to gain if i take this risk how much am i going to lose you know, these things, there are a lot of variables and people have different approaches, but yes, I took some more risks when I was younger because I knew like, okay, if I didn't make it at the beginning, nobody, everybody was shattering this poker thing, my family, my friends, you know, everybody was like, why are you doing this poker thing? Blah, blah, blah. Why did you quit university? Blah, blah, blah. You know, but at the end, like, okay, if it, if it doesn't pan out, I'm just like, okay. They were right, and I'm doing something else. But if it does work out, that's a big fuck you to everybody, you know? So it's like, yeah. Okay, so I made it. What are you going to say now? Yeah, you risk know? reward uh, was definitely uh, was definitely worth worth giving it a shot. Yeah, and then I looked at it like from a very like, okay, I fucked up this time. We go again. Fucked up this time. We go again. You know, I'm not going to let these people be right. Because this was like the biggest motivation for me. It's like, People are like, oh, this poker, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but now you see how people look at me differently now because like, oh, shit, he actually made it. It's actually quite cool, you know? So the whole motivation for me in the beginning was this, like, I'm not going to let these people be right. Hi, guys. Renee, a.k.a. The Wacko here with a quick Mechanics of Poker 2.0 announcement. In our program, you will get access to 80 plus hours of content in which we will explain you all aspects needed in order to become a more successful poker player. Now, one of these, of course, is the technical aspect of the game in which I'll be explaining you all the mechanics behind poker strategies. We'll be talking about GTO, exploitive play with an extra focus on the why behind certain strategies and why the population has certain leaks. And to increase your win rate even further, we've recently added a river bluff and bluff catching section so you can increase your EV when those pots become very big. Our mindset and performance coach Adam Carmichael, he took care of the mental game and performance section of this program in which he will teach you everything you need to know in order to break through limiting beliefs, better handle your emotions, break free from tilt and play your A game more consistently. And last but not least, we've added the management and optimization section in the program in which we will give you various tips and tricks to make it more likely for your poker career to succeed and how to continuously improve as a poker player.
Now on top of that, this concept is continuously evolving based on feedback and suggestions we get from our community. Next to all this content, you will have access to our exclusive Discord community, monthly live Q&A calls, and one-on-one -on -one coaching session in which we are going to be reviewing if you have been implementing the stuff that we teach you in the mechanics of poker correctly. So do you think you have what it takes to master the mechanics of poker? Go over to mechanicsofpoker.com and maybe you will get a chance to work with me and Adam and make more progress in your poker career. But for now, without further ado, let's get back into more goodness in today's episode. Adam, leading up to this spot, you know, we always go through like a little bit of planning. I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll chat a little bit in the beginning. I'll give it over to you quite quickly. We're more than an hour in because uh, obviously the conversation has been amazing. So my apologies for leaving you on the sideline. I will, I will hand it over to you with a little question that we're talking about fuck-ups. Uh, when in your career, do you remember a point in your career where you uh, fucked up and what did you learn from it? Yeah, so a rock bottom moment for me was probably when I was shot taking 1k heads up sitting goes and I basically uh, thought I'd break into those levels quite quickly and the way that format works is you have the best players kind of guard the lobby you play against them reg battle in and you try to earn their respect and if you earn the respect they will generally share the lobbies with you so I was thinking all right a few weeks maybe a few months I'll earn my way in and things got a bit heated egos involved and months and months and months went by with less and less communication with these guys so first it's like skype calls like hey you guys like my game can i get in so to speak and then months were going by where we were basically just having an ego battle and neither players wanted to back down so i burned through most of my role about 75 percent of my bankroll just burning through it like day after day playing high rake i had super elite rake back at the time so i was getting a good rake back deal but i remember thinking there is no light then the tunnel. It was like six months into playing regs every day. And I was like, I need some light. I need some hope that maybe I can get in. So I remember having a few months from, it was June till August, 2015, where I was like, maybe I've bitten off more than I can chew. Maybe I've went too far here and I need to recalibrate. So at that time I had to really do some analysis of my game and I like kind of take my ego aside, stop the battling for a few days and go, right, am I being delusional here? Is this gonna be end well for me? And then yeah, during that kind of analysis, I realized, I felt like my game was strong enough. I felt like I was close to getting through. There was just like another leveling to get my game to so that other players would give me, uh, I could almost put too much pressure on them that they had to let me in. So yeah, the next few months were like just knuckle down, really work hard, but I was getting into more and more financial pressure. I remember during this time, this was the first, the first time since my, I grew my bankroll that I had to start changing my lifestyle. And I started going, right, Adam, stop spending money, stop going out for dinner so much, stop living the lifestyle, low expenses. And yeah, basically it was eight months of playing basically the best guys in my format almost every day. So finally I got in so that that's probably two months were really scary where I thought I could go broke. Are you okay with that? If I do go broke, what do I do? I take a stake and deal off some friends and play lower. Can I live with that reality? Yes, I can. Okay, let's go. And I can then go on with it and kind of similar mindset to what Kayan has said throughout this podcast, kind of just trusting yourself and going for it. And sometimes just going, right get knocked down, get back up again, get knocked down, get back up again. So a lesson I learned through that was basically being resilient, backing yourself and keep going, even when it gets tough, keep going and putting the work in. And over time, nothing can last forever. So if you bang against the door long enough, at some point, someone's gonna answer, you're gonna get into that door. So uh, yeah, learning resilience over that time was definitely definitely a big lesson. So I wanna get back to your story, Kayan. I've been listening very patiently from the sides. And I really wanna piece together your career journey and the lessons you've learned along the way. I can see a fearless character, someone who likes to take a lot of risks, but I wanna go back to the start of your career. I think we'll jump in at a good point where you went pro. So you can take us back when you decided to take poker professionally. I know you were studying and playing a little bit live around 2015, you mentioned. Can you take us back to uh, 
the moment you decided to go pro and what were your expectations going into poker? Okay, so the thing is, I was studying economics and then that's when I was talking about 2015. And then after a while in this period, I started like winning a little bit. I started like, okay, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can't blah, blah, blah. And then I went back and forth, back and forth many times. How are my parents going to react? How are my friends going to react? And all of this. And then it came to, I just got like a, almost like a revelation, I would say at the end of maybe like mid end of 2016, like, okay, uh, summer is over. Everybody's going back to school. Am I, you know? And then instead of going back to school, which I was supposed to, because I already signed up, I started playing live poker at these games, 16 hours a day. And I mean, 16, 17 hours a day, every day, just playing, 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 playing. And I went busto maybe, I would say like three times during those five months. But I have, I had some very good friends there who would always like give me like a very small, not like a huge, huge loan, but like a loan again so I could get back up. Because every time this happened, I would be very motivated to get it back, you know? And then I started working. I got a job on the side to like, okay. So I got more stability, not much, but a little bit. But then I started like taking very high variance routes. Like in the beginning, I was just going busto back to like, let's say thousand US because I was playing a one, two game. So I, I did this a lot of time. And this, when I, after, I would say my breakthrough, like kind of breakthrough was like maybe 2017, like mid 2017 when i started like, okay now i have like 50k us but then the partying came and then you know the dj lifestyle i was surrounded by like very bad environment i would say i was gaining a lot of weight i was yeah i was not feeling very well you go to like a zombie mode kind of when you're playing this much because i was playing non-stop 16 hours a day if i wasn't working i was doing playing this is exactly what I did. I woke up at 6 p.m. every day, between 4 and 7 p.m. every day. This is just like, and I was living with my friend from Norway. His name is Christopher. And like, he was living with me for five years. And he would just say he never saw me. I didn't see my friends for, I would say, between 2016 till beginning of 2018. I almost didn't see my friends for like almost two years birthday parties wouldn't show up nothing which I, I wouldn't show up to anything only thing i went to show up for was christmas and, and i went back home to my family for christmas and i after christmas eve like the same day i would go play like i was like super hungry i wanted to learn i just like every day i was just learning something new i couldn't sleep well i was thinking about poker and how can i do this better like i was getting obsessed while some people like develop like a, like degeneracy for money i was just like developing like okay how can i get better how can i do this yes i was pounding hard with the bankroll and everything but i was just like learning in the process I, like every beat down i took was a great learning experience you know and this is maybe what's different from me to others like people might get there were certain points in my career like i was depressed but still i managed to get something out of it you know i wasn't living a good life i was like playing every day. So I think my real breakthrough was like when I moved to Oslo in 2018, I started playing these 
five card PLO apps on the computer. And in the beginning, it was like going very bad. Like I was losing a lot of my net worth again. And I, I was a lot in London learned living with, there were some Norwegians living there and I learned poker with them. And I started playing MTTs, no limit cash and five card PLO. So I had a big spectrum, you know, and I was winning in all formats. So after a while I started learning, okay, Maybe if I play a little bit of everything and try to learn everything and in software games, I can build up my net worth because I understood at some point I need to have some money and stability because in 2018, I was 24, you know? So I was, yeah. Uh, and then I started playing, I started going to LA at the commerce. I don't know if you guys heard about the LA commerce. It's like a huge no limit team. They have six, seven, five, ten games running every day and 10, 20. I went to commerce with 30K, I remember. This was either late 2017 or late 2018, I'm not sure, or early 2018, I'm not sure. But it was in that time frame. I went there with 30K and I came back home three months later with 130K. So I made like 100K on 510 in like two, three months. So I finally had some money. And then after that, I maybe went buster one or two times more until the end like i would say right before covid started like 2020 so i was just going back and forth playing plo apps playing online cash i was losing on 500 zoom like from 2018 till 2019 by learning just like by playing i was losing a lot but i was losing and then i started learning okay why am i losing what am i doing wrong i need to go learn something and i've always been a lone wolf i've not been like I had study partners, nothing like this. I've always been like learned by my own. I had some friends I was talking poker with, obviously, but yeah. So to, I remember this is like when the breakthrough started for me. I was, I went to LA in the beginning of 2020 for, so I was playing 500 Zoom there uh, right before then, and I was becoming a winner in the game, like one BB, maybe 100. So I, again, I had like 50K. I went down there to play 510 and 1020 when it was running. But the game, problem with that game it was 102040. So you had to buy in like 5K. So at that point, I was like, okay, I won 20K on 510. I'm going to take a shot now. I'm just going to go for it. I ended up winning like almost 200K on 102040 in like in the span of one month because the games just got super juicy. And then I had. Three, almost 300k to my name, I would say. Then I got invited to a 100-200 game at the, the Hawaiian Gardens, which was a private game. And I was pre I was better than the lineup for sure. There, there was no, but I had a big ego thing here. I I, I was like, I'm the best player. I, I'm gonna win against him. Blah blah blah. And I sold. I remember selling 50% to uh, three guys I've met from the UK at that time in LA because they came from Macau and they were uh, they, they were like very financially stable. They had a lot of money and uh, Macau shut down because of COVID. And then they came to LA to play. And then I told them about this opportunity and they bought 50%. And I just got immediately dusted. Like I lost almost 75% of what I won from my own share back to them like immediately after. And then COVID came. I came back to Norway with 60K. I had to go back. And then I rented my basement at my sister's place. 
and I decided, okay, it's now or never. Now I just have to start because now, like I started a company, I'm going to pay my taxes. I'm going to do everything by the law, by the, by the book, because I'm officially a professional with Sable. And then I started playing five on Zoom, which the um, Wacko knows a lot about because we were playing infinite hands against each other. I was playing 14 hours a day. Every day I was playing four tables of Zoom and I would even mix in some two, five reg tables and five, 10 reg tables. And I was just playing, 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 playing. And I would say those six months, I was playing between 400 and 600,000 hands. I was playing so much and I began to win a lot. And I was steadily like staying at 510 now and grinding 500 Zoom on the side. And, and yeah, and just doing this and then Early 2021, I was making my jump to 1020, and then I got knocked back down to 510. Then I decided to play some tournaments because my good friend Espen and those guys were playing. It was Scoop 2021, I think. It was at the end that I was decided, okay, I'll play a few tournaments. Then I ended up binking a 1K for like second place for 70K. And then I was like, okay, fuck it. I'm going to sell 50% of my 10K Scoop and play the 1k main and the whatever and then i ended up chopping the 10k scoop main for 800k which was like huge bankroll booster i just got like 5x 6x no maybe 4x of what i had and then after that i just like okay <clears throat> now i have enough money because i had to give 50 percent away but i had enough money and then i started playing 10 20 and some 25.50, I was getting slaughtered at 25.50 again. Because every time I used to jump up, I always got slaughtered back down to the stake I was at. It was just like, it was getting very frustrating. And then I got into Bobby's room game at Vegas because I said, okay, I'm going to go to the WSOP. I have 500k, but first I'm going to take a trip to LA. Again, with this insane win rate, I just win 130k at LA in two weeks. So we had to go to Mexico first for because we had to stay out of the Europe for two weeks to get into the US for some reason. So we went to Mexico with two friends. And then I got to Bobby's room and I just got I didn't sell one percent of my action and I played one fifty one two or one two or whatever it was, and I just lost like immediately like four hundred K. And just uh, this is the closest yeah, so I haven't been busted in a long time. Like I've had low liquid, but uh, fortunately enough, I've been smart enough to have assets since that time. Um, yeah, so this was like, I would say that was a very low point for me when I finally like, oh, this is me now, I'm going to make it. And then you just, and this is like two years ago. It was like, I didn't lose close to all my money. I still had a good portion, but it was like, I finally had a big chunk of money and I just ended up losing a lot of it right after. And then I'm, I started I'm, playing. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, sorry I'm, I'm, I'm curious to dive into uh, how you perceive risk. As I've been listening along, there's so many opportunities where you've taken on like a high risk option. Uh, you've almost like put your role on the line in high variance scenario and almost got like slapped in the face or a bad result as a result of that. But it didn't deter you. If anything, you just came back and took another risk and another shot, another shot. So I'm really curious to know uh, how you perceive risk and how you go about taking risks. You mentioned earlier 
you need to have a risk to reward premium. So uh, tell me through like how you're making these decisions in your career as you're going for these kind of big shots and putting a lot of your role on the line. A lot of players would be like, wow, I could never put myself in that situation. How were you uh, able to take on that risk? And what was your kind of framing of how you could deal with risk? So the thing is, uh, when I was playing this game for the Bobby's Room game, while I had shit ton of money now, I was like, okay, I can go away from here with like 2 million We'll go away from here with 200k okay if i have 200k or i have 500 600k what's really the difference but if i have 2 million you know it's like if you have 2 million you have a lot of money you can start taking that big of a risks anymore you can just like stabilize your life buy an apartment or two and just take it easy and play 10 20 and have fun but just like if you do this this is way better for your life in general but the thing is, would I really stop at 2 million? This, this is the thing though, you know, I've always been, not always, but in like the later years, I've always been like, okay, now I have this, what do I do with this? What do I do now? I put this away. I buy something nice. I buy an apartment. I, I try to stabilize my life in case things go to shit, which, which is a like very, very, very low chance of now, which it could have been like, like, yeah, I've been lucky in my life. I've been. When I needed it, it's always like came to me. Maybe it's not like luck. Maybe it's just like determination of like, I want to do it. Maybe, I don't know. It's hard to say really, but yeah, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's been a journey. Like it needs to be some risk. I need to have some like, um, yeah, I need to have some skin in the game. Like mm -hmm. I've always been like that because I don't feel it's like <clears throat> smart to like try to be like the cautious guy because you'll never yeah you might get somewhere but it's you need to have like feel like it's something is burned it's burning under your feet or you're just like doing something to make your life as good as possible yes sometimes you'll get slapped in the face that's just a part of life you know you can either let yeah. it break you or just continue you know? Yeah, it sounds like you have a very investor's mindset. And although it can seem reckless at times when you take big shots, you're actually very calculated and you're taking time to go, uh, I've got this money available. If I get this outcome from winning, this will set my life up this way. And if it goes this way and goes badly, I can handle it. So I'm curious to know uh, how you balance when your risks don't pay off. We could use the Bobby's Room example. That'd be a good one to dive into. Uh, what do you do the next day or during that time when you take a risk, you take a big shot, you spend years building your role to a certain level, you take a big shot with it and you go back down to where you were a few years previously. How do you deal with that? What are some of the things you learned from that experience that set you up to have success going forward? First of all, I take a break. I don't play because my biggest issue has been mindset issues. Like if, when I'm like losing a lot of money in a short period of time, I don't have my head won't always stabilize it's gotten way way better but before i remember oh it was so bad i could because if i was losing a lot in a period i would just lose even more on like tilt like just losing my mind basically just yeah i i still have some times it happens but not in the same way no but yeah i take a big break i reevaluate. i regroup i try to study i try to play lower stakes for like a small period of time when I, i'm after the break to like because I'm rusty and everything. Even even Renee, I was playing two five with him like three weeks ago because I've been like in a two months break. I do the same every time. I, when I'm taking a long break, I try to like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. I gotta reevaluate. You know, it's just like on big downswings, 
I've seen a lot of like good people like just like lose all their money because of one big downswing because they just um, never group, you know, and they go back on stake and then, yeah. And the same cycles happen over many, many times, you know? So I, my, I think my trick is just to take a long break, focus on what, what's good in my life and just see like, this is all because of poker. Like, look, I have a flashy new apartment in Oslo. I'm going to buy my second one in the six months. I'm 29 years old and I'm like, I have two apartments in like one of the most expensive cities in the world. You know, it's like, I just look at these things I have. I have a healthy family. I have a good family. I have good friends. You know, I try to like look at what's good in my life just to recoup, you know, just spend some time with them and just, just be grateful, you know just to be grateful. Sometimes you gotta be grateful and just like, okay, I had a rough, rocky period and then we, we fight again, we go again, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that your mental game was one of your biggest opponents. What did you have to do to uh, work on your mental game? What are some of the specific things you had to do to uh, improve that? <laughs> Actually, I must say my ego was my biggest problem. I had a like, I still have an ego for sure. I still have an ego, but the, the hardest part for me was like losing when I felt like I didn't deserve to lose, you know? It's just like, I, I would win in like the toughest games, like tough, tough games I would win. But when I got to like very good and fun games where I should be like, I thought I was like, I'm going to be a big winner in this game. I always got demolished, you know? It's just like, and I think that was a way of mindset. I was like going there expecting to win, you know? And as a poker player, this is like the biggest trap. Like going there expecting to win is like a very big trap. Yes, you can expect to gain some EV, but going there to expect to win is like a very cocky, big ego thing to do. And this was the thing I used to do. Now in my, I would say like these last two years have been like a big lesson for me. Many ways, like I've been low on liquid and been this and this, but I've never been even close to busto, you know? And this is like, and I've, I can always like look around, look, this is mine. This is me, you know, I have so much of this because of poker. Instead of being ungrateful and expecting and like demanding to win, you just like, okay, I didn't win today. Maybe I'll win tomorrow. Maybe I'll win next week. Who knows? But you know what? I wouldn't have any, anything of this if it wasn't for poker, you know? Mm-hmm. You just got to buy like, sit down sometimes, be grateful and how many cool people I've met, you know, it's just like, a lot of good things have came to my life since. It's like, it's very hard to do when you're like losing a lot and just like, I, I think this has been my biggest weakness, my ego maybe. And it, it, it like, it correlates with like the expectations of winning and this, but yeah, mm. and, and the mental game, yeah. Yeah, so I'm curious to know how you were able to address that. Let's say you notice this kind of entitlement when you're playing in softer games and expecting to win. Now it feels like that's no longer an issue. What did you have to do to address that? I'm guessing this was a bit of a recurring problem for a while. What are some of the things that were helpful for you in overcoming that part of your ego? You know, the the funny part is I got to give a lot of honor to my sister, my big sister. She was like, because she's the one who made me aware of all this, you know? She's like, look at everything you have. It's because of poker. Like, look, like, just look around. What? Why are you stressing someone? Because I was like very stressed and I was very annoyed and I was, yeah. And uh, you know, uh, the way I addressed this, it, it was like, okay, some this is poker. 
it's variance. It's going to hurt you. It's going to slap you in the face. It, sometimes you can play your best game. You can make the best decisions and you still won't win. But this is what I learned. Like, it's easy to say, but it's actually harder to comprehend than people would imagine, you know? It's like, because it, in other sports or like other games and things, variance is not a big deal. It's not a huge issue. But in poker, like, it is a big issue. Sometimes you're just gonna, you gotta lose, 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 and then win. It's like, it's very hard to understand, even though I've been playing poker for such a long period of time, it's, it's still hard for the mind to like comprehend because money is stability and stability is comfortability. And then, and this is what most people want, you know? And when this gets shaky, it does something with you. It, it, it's hard to explain. You gotta be in the situation, but I, I'm assuming you you had the same experience when you were playing the stick and goes when you lost 75%, you know? It's just, it does something with you and you mm -hmm. get knocked down. Either you can just like lay down or you just like get back up and try again, you know? This is all we can do. Yeah, I think it's something very primal how we link our resources, money in particular, to survival needs. So when resources are threatened at any time, it almost takes on a primal nature. We get really uh, activated in our physiology. We want to fight back. We want to uh, do something to protect ourselves because we don't want to go broke and lose this valuable resource, so to speak. So uh, yeah, I think with the, when you throw a variance into the equation there, and it almost like skews everything that's going on. So your results coming back aren't accurate in the short term, but you're trying to make sense of it. And then something that's really valuable to you is going down and down and down, and all of a sudden the mind starts freaking out. So yeah, I think there's so much to work on in terms of your relationship with money, your relationship with winning, your relationship with losing, and almost everyone who gets into poker has these issues at some point. They, they have to come to terms with the ego, come to terms with their emotions. So it sounds like for you, this talk with your sister, uh, getting more gratitude into your life, being appreciative of what you're going through. I'm curious to know um, when you had less in your life, like let's say when you hadn't achieved the success that you currently have, how did you maintain confidence during these kind of failed attempts, let's call it, when things were going badly, when you were taking risks? Because I know, know for you, you're, you're kind of picking yourself up and going again, but I'm wondering, like, what are you saying to yourself during these periods to remain confident that you're able to turn this around? Like, now you've got a track record, you've got a lot of success around you, but in the early days, how do you keep your confidence to keep taking risk again and again and brushing yourself off? So, so this is the thing about me. Since, since I was a kid, like, I mean, a young kid, I've, I've always learned things, like, very past you know i've never been like a big homework guy but i just understand things in like very quicker ways i find shortcuts and this has always been like my mo since i was a little kid i was finding shortcuts and i've always gotten better at games than most people or if it was put but like i just learn things faster but this also makes me like very entitled to things you know like i don't work as much as on things you know it's just it's like a gift and a curse thing you know mm -hmm. And this is the thing, like, in a, it, it's good in some ways, and it's very bad in some ways, you know, because you get entitled to not do as much. And I mean, did, did I, am I answering your question now? I feel like I'm railroading it. Okay, yeah. No, so this level of entitlement has been like my biggest, biggest opponent because I feel like, okay, I'm better than him. I can do this. I don't need to do anything, you know, but I'm, learning faster than him i don't need to do anything but this is not true you know because there are probably way many more smarter people out there than me many and people are learning way faster than me and they're and they're working twice as hard so how am i going to stay level in the competition 
obviously I'm going to fall low down, like on the bar, like, because I'm not doing anything. And this is just, I just understood at some point, like the last, like I said, the last year, year and a half has been like a big thing for me. Like this level of entitlement has been going down. Yes. I was still, I'm still struggling with it sometimes, but like, I've also understood, like, you're not better than anyone. You are, you are a person as well. And if you're going to go around underestimating all of your opponents and all of the people around you, at some point, you're going to fall. You're just going to... And I think this was the problem I had, like, mid-2019 till end of 2020. Like, the level of entitlement, you know? Like, I deserve this. I deserve it. I don't need to work for it. I deserve it. I've had it way worse than him when I was growing up. I had it, you know, it's just... You feel you feel like you deserve something, but you actually don't. You don't mm-hmm. deserve anything. You know, everybody life. Everybody has had a bad time. Every life sucked for many people. You know, it's I don't deserve more than him, him or him. I deserve what I work for, and that you know. Finally, it took me a long time, but maybe it comes with the age. I just learned. Okay, this is your life. You can choose to like feel bad for yourself or you can actually do something about it you know mm. yeah, is- i think it highlights something very important of it's good to have confidence in yourself it's almost good to have a little bit of an ego at times to back yourself but that can quickly go into overconfidence entitlement and feel like you deserve something so as you were speaking there i was writing down growth mindset you've got a growth mindset you could think and learn get better and you also um, almost like identified yourself as someone who is smart learns quickly quite talented mm-hmm. so uh, you've got like kind of two things going on which can mm-hmm complement each other but they can also uh, create problems if you think you're talented and you're good at something all of a sudden you expect to win and when you're not winning you're like well why not i'm a talented kid i do things well but if you pair exactly. that with a growth mindset which i've as i've been listening to you speak the whole conversation a lot of things learn by doing always how, how to play good opponents so i can learn from them it's all this like this growth mindset around i learn by doing whatever my current skill set is it doesn't really matter because i can get better by the act of doing this and i pick things up quickly so i can get better so yeah i think for you uh, your kind of confidence is coming from your ability to learn um it's high rates but also in tough lineups and tough competition i think some people who are maybe struggling to apply this kind of concept for themselves might not have that confidence that they can learn in the same way you can it feels like for you uh, put you against anyone almost in the, in the world you're like i'll definitely get better i might not beat this guy exactly but i'm gonna get pretty good at this game so you back yourself so uh, in terms of what you do to learn you don't go super specific but i'm curious to know uh, what helps you in learning? Because you mentioned you, you do learn by doing. You're not, you're not the guy who sits the solver. You're the guy who plays tough opponents and you learn from them. What do you think allows you to uh, extrapolate knowledge from good players where other players might play the same games as you uh, but not learn at the same rate? So the thing is, when people play better players, they're very focused on playing their best, you know? I'm always focused on playing my best as well. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I'm also eager to find out what they're doing and why they're doing it because in the beginning when i was playing poker the level of entitlement and everything oh everybody was bad and this and that and you know you just you're just hammering on everybody but instead of doing that now the later years i've been like okay this guy's better than me so he's doing something right you know it's just i let go some of the entitlement and some of like the ego issues i still have it 100 i still do have it for sure but instead of doing all these things, I just like, okay, if some player thinks I'm bad, like whatever, let them think it, you know, I'm just trying to be the best as I can be. And like the best way I find it correct, like, I'm using the solvers for my own as well. But in the spare time, I'm also like 
trying to see what people do. I rail games where you're playing super high stakes and try to see, okay, why did you do this? And then I go check it through. And stuff. Oh, it was actually pretty good, you know? And this was not something I expected. And there, boom, I learned something, you know? And this is, I think my biggest quality now is like trying to like understand what other people do. Maybe they're better or worse than me, you know? It doesn't even, it doesn't matter that much, but like if they're doing something right, I want to have it in my strategy too. I, I want to have it in my arsenal, you know? Because mm -hmm. the, the only thing I can do is grow as much as possible. It's not like, yeah. And mm -hmm. my fam financial situation is like, very stable like i'm right now i don't need to stress that much about money i don't need to play every day i i can choose when i play and this this gives me like i'm feeling very calm now which i wasn't like maybe before you know mm -hmm. yes i'm getting a lot of curiosity when you're playing in tough lineups in particular and the opposite of what you were saying before in these lineups you put your ego to one side and you're like all right what can i learn what are these guys doing what can i implement into our into my game it reminds me of sports and how uh, some people or players in particular are very good against the best competition they play the a game and then they play like a weak competition who they expected to beat and they'll lose because they almost like get complacent they drop their standards and i'm not saying that's exactly you but it, seems, it sounds like you uh, you rise to the occasion against tough players because you you don't care that you're not necessarily winning in the short term. So I think this is quite a hard thing for players to realize because I'm sure some people listening, maybe a lot of people listening, will not be able to put themselves in tough lineups when they know they're the worst player. But for you, it seems like you don't really worry about that because you're like, right, well, I'll just learn loads. If these guys are amazing, mm -hmm. let's get my pen out, get my notepad out, time to learn. So uh, for you, yeah. do you feel fear in these moments? Like let's say if you sit down to play, whether it's uh, David Jones or Linus, do you feel fear when you sit down to play or are you just excited and curious when you step into challenges like this 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 must i say this is the one thing i must say this has been one of my strengths i never give respect to anybody like i don't i don't care who you are like i've been playing with like phil ivy patrick antonius all of these like top dog like big i never give them respect i treat them as who they are and i treat them as an opponent and if they're a good person i'm willing to talk to them and respect them in that manner and then poker wise i I tend to not have fear and I just do what I think is best. Look, if I have to run a big bluff, I'm running it. I don't care. This is, I'm, I'm sure the whole poker community can vouch on this. Like if I have to do something I feel is right, I will do it. No matter the money online, what, whatever. So now the, the thing I do now is like, I don't put as much money in risk as before, which makes it, I'm, I'm, either i'm even more afraid of losing other people's money than my own which is like a weird mindset you know i've gotten actually maybe not afraid but like oh what is he gonna think is he gonna think i fucked up you know this is a bit like yeah it's it's hard to say really it's, it's hard to explain but uh yeah i feel more worrisome about losing other people's money than my own like this i feel way worse about that you know if you know I don't know if you can correlate, but or you understand this. This is yeah. this is the way I feel. Like I don't mm -hmm. have fear. I would say I always do what I think is right, and for sure I'm probably wrong, hundred times a day. Who knows, you know? But the best thing I can do is try to give my best and be like as focused as I can, and mm -hmm. uh, do well by people who either invest or like have faith or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. And I try to do my best every day. And this is all I can do really, you know, I, we all have limitations. Yeah. I think a big thing for you as well is 
your kind of scorecard of winning and losing isn't necessarily money related. It's not like, did I win the session? It's, am I learning? Am I getting better? So for you, let's say you were playing a tough lineup to really good players and you were losing against those. I see your strategy was lacking behinds, but you felt like you were learning, even though you were you're kind of costing yourself EV or you're costing yourself playing against these players. How would your mind frame that as a win? Because I know a lot of players get anchored to money. They get anchored to, am I winning? Am I losing? And when they lose, they almost like can't see the lessons they're learning. They can't see it because they lost on the financial scorecards. It feels like for you, that wouldn't even be a factor. So uh, for you, how do you frame maybe short-term bad results as a win long-term just by learning from those opponents? So this is the thing I was talking about earlier. You remember I told you, I told you about like I was losing on 500 Zoom in the beginning, but then I started winning, you know? And after I started winning, I just said, fuck, maybe I learned something by playing all these hands. Okay, I was losing a little bit, but look at me now. Now I'm earning 10 times as much, you know? And at the end of COVID, I was winning six and a half, maybe a hundred on 500 Zoom, which is like super sick, you know, it's super good. And then by losing all that money and that learning experience, that made me like a big winner. So I looked at like, okay, short-term, this is what happens, but long-term, Okay, so short term I'm losing, but if the future EV is going to get me like up there, isn't it really worth it to just like give away something here? And then after, like I said, talk to Renee about like the the big picture. The big picture is like very important for me. It's like you know I don't look at things in a vacuum. Like like it's not like this. It's like this, and this has always been like my mindset about everything. Like I always strive for efficiency and like try to do as like easy as possible for both me and people around me. You know, I don't want to, let's say, yeah, I don't have a good example right now, but just like, like when I was doing my homework, when I was younger, I would always like copy like the things I found very boring because I knew I wouldn't find the time to do it myself. So my efficient way to do that would just to be like copy or just ask a question and then get the answer. You know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. because if I knew some, like I knew my limitation was laziness. So I found a way to like, yeah, compensate kind of, you know, it was like a quid pro quo. They would do this for me and I would do that for them. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, I would almost change like, you know, cause I was mm -hmm. always like semi good at some things and they were like good at the boring things and we would just change. It was just mm -hmm. like in, yeah, it was like a business approach. You know what I mean? Kind of. Mm -hmm. Leveraging your skill set and then finding yeah. shortcuts or efficiencies for maybe things you're not good at or not interested in. Uh, you mentioned um, the big picture a few times, which I'm interested in. How do you keep a big picture? Or more, more importantly, what is the big picture for you? And where do you think other players maybe get a bit short-sighted and don't see the bigger picture? This I've gotten these questions from before. Like, Actually, my mother asked me this because I always tell her about the big picture as well. And it, it's very hard to like, elaborate what I mean, but like the big picture is like, you started here, your goal was here and you try to end up here. You're like, this is like the picture, you know? And if you have to go like through bumps on the road, this is just how it is. You have, you start somewhere and the end line is here. You know, you got to find out where, when am I going to be happy? When is it over? When is it good for me? When am I good? When am I in a good place? And the thing is for me, if I look at back at me for like five or six years ago, you know, I just, I would never imagine I would be here right now. You know, it's like, it's very, it's very hard to see from down there, but when you're up there, it's like, wow. I, the, the, the thing is, if I had to go through that journey 
again. And I knew it was the same. I would do it for sure. Like mm -hmm. it, it was just a part of way becoming the person I am today. You know, mm -hmm. it was just a part of my journey. And I think what I mean about the big picture is like, you just try to see the end, like, where do I want to be? How do I want to be as a person? And did I reach my goal? And no, it wasn't always the best. It maybe it wasn't the best way to do it, but would I be the same guy I am today if I didn't? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah so it I sounds like understand like zooming out and looking at like the big picture of like what the ultimate end goal is that I'm trying to achieve. And then as you're progressing towards that goal, checking in and realizing I'm making progress towards that. So this is good. Even the small progress is good. Checking in to go, right, I've actually come a long way over the last year, two years. Remind yourself of the journey that you've already came on. And then also uh, giving yourself a little bit of credit for, yes, I'm making progress. I'm, I'm moving towards this goal. And almost like that's feeding the system and remind yourself why you're doing it as well. I think it's important to your kind of your motives for going down this path. And then also on that journey, realizing that you're growing as a person, you're becoming a better version of yourself on this journey. So yeah, I think all of these things kind of <coughs> encompass the big picture, which I think is a, it's such a good way to think because the big picture should always override the, the short term. Like if you've got, if, you're, if the big picture is on track and you can connect with that, short term is just like, just bumps in the road, just ups and downs, a roller coaster goes into a dip before it comes back up again. You can override that if the big picture is clear. So uh, has there been any times in your career where you uh, almost lost a bit of hope or you uh, maybe got a little bit too uh, caught into the short terms and you had to uh, learn a lesson to get back in touch with the, the bigger picture? For sure. Like when, what I was talking about, like, um, so the thing I do now, I'm, I'm railroading a little bit just to get back to the point after. Um, now I tend to like prioritize using my time when I have time on social things, my friends, family and everything, you know, and before when I had the short sighted goal, I want to have this much money. I want to do this and this and this, you know, you just, you know, you go into a state of depression almost. You just like, you focus on nothing and like, yeah. And the thing is, you're not really happy. And if you, if you reach your goal and you're not even really happy, was it even worth it? You know what I mean? And this is what I think I was doing. Like when I didn't have, so I was playing 16 hours a day and I, I was putting in the work, man. People think I was just laying down on a beach somewhere. I was putting in real work. Like I, I hear my friends complaining about working a seven and a half hour job a day. Dude, I was like, I didn't have a life. Nobody saw me. I was just playing, 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 you know? And, um, and I wasn't really happy. You know, I was, this is not why I started to play poker. I started to play poker because it was interesting. It was complex. It was like fun, you know? And the thing is, I think the last years I've found like back the fun in it, you know? And this is what keeps me motivated now because if my motivation was all about money, like it was before, what would I do now? I wouldn't, I wouldn't be happy because I have it now, you know? It's like, you're not happy anymore. And if you're not happy while doing something you're supposed to like, how are you going to keep the motivation up? No, then I'm going to get back to entitled. I'm going to get back to this and this and this, you know, it's like, and for me, it was never, it, it, it was never about the money. For me, it was never about the money. The only reason I needed the money, it was to take care of my future family or my family and giving the people I love the most, everything they needed, you know, because mm. I'm not going to say I had a poor family, but I never had, I couldn't just choose wherever I wanted and get things I wanted. Like it was, so I, in a weird way, I appreciate the money, but I don't 
appreciate the money. You know, it's like, for me, it's like always been better to give than to get. This has always been like my MO, just see the smile. Because for me, I have everything I need. I don't, I don't need anything else. But giving like a gift to my mother, or like doing something good for a friend that might not be in the situation he is or something like this, like it just makes me very happy overall. And, and for me, it's more important to be happy than to have a gazillion dollars. This is just... Yeah, I think it sounds like for you, it was really clear that you got into poker for the fun and the enjoyment. Then at certain parts of your career, sometimes you get too zoomed in on the success, the money attributes, but that was never the game. That was never the goal that got you into poker. The longer you focus on that, the more you get unhappy, miserable, your life starts sliding a bit because you're too narrow with your focus and you've lost track of the big picture of what you're doing. So for you, it sounds like you've come full circle up and down. There's been a lot of um, turbulence in your journey, let's call it, but you've come back to that where you started that, that kind of fun, the enjoyment, doing poker because you enjoy the game and you're curious and it's a, it's a fun thing to do. So yeah, I think it's a real good story and a really good life lessons for anyone listening to uh, remind themselves of the bigger picture for themselves. We've all got our own goals. I'm guessing we all want to be happy. We all want to enjoy our lives, have fun as we're on the journey, but we all have achievements we want to have as well. So uh, remind ourselves of the bigger picture as we're playing these small games of success, of money, not getting too caught up in them while still trying to optimize them for a better life. I think that's a, a great lesson for the audience. And and you know, like just like a bonus thing, like it's way easier to do something well and good and like earning more money if you actually like and enjoy it, you know? If you make it to something like you're obligated to do, I have to wake up every day to do this, this, this. Because in the system we live in today, you're very like, you have to do this, 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 you know? And for me, I've always known like, this is not for me. I've always known. Like I forced myself into some things like even to my, like I didn't want to go and start the economics degree. I did it because of like the peer pressure of like society, you know, it's just, but I knew something one day, I don't need a boss. I want to be my own boss. I want to do this. I want to have my freedom. Yes. People think I I'm lazy. I don't do enough, but trust me in my periods of time, I work harder than I would say 99.9% .9 of people, you know, but they just don't see it with their own eyes. It just, but that that's their belief. And they're, I don't really care what people think about when it comes to this. I just, okay. But if you're working that hard, why are you not achieving the same level of success? You know what I mean? It's just mm -hmm. like, they're just trying to like feed their own egos to like saying he's less because he's doing that. But, mm -hmm. but now this is how it started. But now everybody sees like, oh, wow, he's actually working hard for this, you know? And this, it's not important for me what other people think. It's important for me what my family and friends think because everybody's going to have their own opinion. Everybody's going to say something. And, and this is just how the world works, man. It's like a lot of gossip and this and this and this. But what really matters for me is like the people around me. Yes, I like all people. I'm not saying that, but I was just like, yeah. The level of like entitlement I used to have maybe I, I I tend to see it now in others too but it takes one to know one you know what I mean like they, they want to think they're better than you because they have a normal job or this and this and yeah you know what I mean it's like you've probably been encountered the same way before mm. yeah I think for yourself as well it's like other people put their own kind of judgments onto you if you're you've got this freedom this like kind of happy-go-lucky lifestyle 
people are like, well, you can't have that. Like, you're not working hard enough. You're not suffering enough. You're not grinding the same way I am. But behind the scenes, you're, you're doing your own thing. And you've, like you said, you've probably worked harder than a lot of people in the past, but also from a place of enjoyment. I think there's like kind of, sometimes we, we give too much of a badge of honor to kind of working hard. When in reality, we, we generally work our hardest when we want to, when we're curious, when we love what we're doing. It's like, is that really work? Yeah. If you want to spend 10 hours a day studying poker because you absolutely love it, is that really mm-hmm. a, a work shift or is it, play is it enjoyment so yeah, i think for yourself you give us nice, in, nice interplay between kind of work ethic but also play and fun and enjoying it in the kind of the merged the most merged of the same thing now where you do it because you want to and fun and work is the, the same kind of the same game and yeah this is the thing i wake up with a smile around my face you know some days are tougher than others okay i lost a shit ton of money yesterday but i still wake up with a smile and be like wait dude i just i look around me and just i feel happy you know i just I'm not, yeah, I'm before I wasn't, but now I am like, because, and it's not because of the success or the money. It's just because I had a goal and I reached, like, I'm not saying I reached my full goal, but I reached some parts of it and, and I'm still young, you know, I'm 29, you know, like many people use way longer time to reach that level of success than like people like us, you know, and then it's fine. And I love to get some recognition for it. Yes. But what really matters for me the most is like people around me like, oh, wow, you're super sick at this. Congrats. And I'm super happy for you. You know, you're just like genuinely happy because some people might be jealous. Some people might be this, this, this. The people who are genuinely happy for you and have been through all parts of the road with you, those are the people I appreciate the most. You know, it's not the guys who like slandered me because I started or whatever, you know, it's that's what I appreciate the most, like, yeah, being happy and being, yeah, just when I play, I'm not like feeling like it's the job all the, yes, sometimes it's super, super boring. Yes. But which job isn't, you know? Mm. Yeah. I think it's well, like it's remind yourself of, there's only certain relationships that really matter to you. It's your close circle, it's your family, it's your immediate mm-hmm. friendship groups and everyone else mm-hmm. they have their opinions on what you do, but you don't really care about them. But if you really think about it, you don't care too much. It sounds like for you, uh, you've got a nice point where you're happy with yourself, you have the people around you are happy and they, they're happy for you, which is a, a rare thing in a lot of circles. And as you mentioned, like no matter what you do, there's an element of repetition, getting good at it. And actually there's, there's a lot of fun in repetition when you get really into the weeds of something, there's something like the intricacies of learning something at a high level are fun, fun of themselves. So yeah. Hi guys, Rene aka The Wacko here with a quick Mechanics of Poker 2.0 announcement. In our program you will get access to 80 plus hours of content in which we will explain you all aspects needed in order to become a more successful poker player. Now one of these of course is the technical aspect of the game in which I'll be explaining you all the mechanics behind poker strategies. We'll be talking about GTO, exploitive play with an extra focus on the why behind certain strategies and why the population has certain leaks. And to increase your win rate even further, we've recently added a river bluff and bluff catching section so you can increase your EV when those pots become very big. Our mindset and performance coach Adam Carmichael, he took care of the mental game and performance section of this program in which he will teach you everything you need to know in order to break through limiting beliefs, better handle your emotions, break free from tilt and play your A game more consistently. And last but not least, we've added the management and optimization section in the program in which we will give you various tips and tricks to make it more likely for your poker career to succeed and 
how to continuously improve as a poker player. Now on top of that, this concept is continuously evolving based on feedback and suggestions we get from our community. Next to all this content, you will have access to our exclusive Discord community, monthly live Q&A calls, and one-on-one -on -one coaching session in which we are going to be reviewing if you have been implementing the stuff that we teach you in the mechanics of poker correctly. So do you think you have what it takes to master the mechanics of poker? Go over to mechanicsofpoker.com and maybe you will get a chance to work with me and Adam and make more progress in your poker career. But for now, without further ado, let's get back into more goodness in today's episode. Rene, I want to ask you in terms of big picture thinking. I know you're, you're someone who likes to say a wide perspective of life overall. How do you keep your eyes on the bigger picture, so to speak? And what is the bigger picture for you at this stage of your career? Well, that's an interesting question, Adam. Uh, I would say at the moment, if we're talking about in this specific moment, bigger picture, it's more, I look more towards things outside of poker. If we're talking in poker, I kind of don't really have something that I'm necessarily going towards. I'm more interested in yeah things outside of poker from a social perspective, uh, soon to become a father, family, this, these kind of things. Uh, and life experiences, this this kind of stuff. That's more what my current bigger picture is. Yeah. So to be honest, I find it a bit hard to to answer this question at this exact moment. If we talk about from a career perspective, obviously we're always trying to, yeah, improve our, for example, coaching skills, our poker skills. But it's not the main main focus at the moment. Maybe just because, like I said, that I have some things happening in my private life that that draw a lot of my attention and then probably after that i will have more space to think about uh yeah where i want to go with uh with, with my life but i definitely think kayan gave a lot of uh i think he gave like a little throughout this two hours i hear like a master class of the uh like sort of a quantum physics 101 how to become successful i hear every time abundance being not in a state of lack focusing on the things you're grateful for these are all like one of the physics ways of, of, of acquiring success. And I definitely feel like if people had the idea of you that, oh, this guy, you know, is lazy, blah, blah, blah. I would say if they now hear how many shots you take, how many fills you take, how many, how many times you put yourself out there on, on the line, I would say it's fair to say that you've deserved the success that, that, that you now currently have, because many players who will be listening and who maybe had that thought of you will be like, well, did I, put my money together and just jump in a game where I was pretty sure I was an underdog. No. Did I took that risk where you said, well, I can't win 2 million or I win two or I go back to 200k. What's the point? I'm pretty sure the majority did not take that risk. Right? So I think if you look at a high risk, high reward, the, the classic, you deserve to write you to high risk and you got high reward. So yeah, that's a yeah. congrats to you. Yeah. I appreciate the kind words. Yeah. Like the thing is like, like I tried to say, like, it's not all about the money. It's just all having some skin in the game, being confident and try, try like challenging yourself. Like, because it's very hard to stay motivated if you don't challenge yourself, you know, it's like, if you're going to stay in the same lane long enough for the time, you're going to get bored. It's going to be like a automatic robot, like a lifestyle where you can just have a normal job instead. It would be the same. Like if you don't challenge yourself and expand and try to like different things, like, 
I was playing No Limit for many years, and then I started playing Five Star PLO, and I tried to have a mix, you know, if just to stay motivated and do things that are different and try to, yeah, just try to learn more all the time. And I'm still hungry, you know. And at this fall, when I was playing the biggest like games all around and just like playing like super, it didn't give me anything. It didn't give me the dopamine, or it it didn't give me anything. But just like it was super fun. Don't misunderstand. It was a lot of fun. But when you lose and you get knocked down, knocked down, knocked down, knocked down, things are not that fun. You need to have like, you need to have something that always builds you back up. And then for me, struggling with motivation is when you just feel like you're not good enough. And it, it, it does something with your confidence when you're losing a lot of money. It, it does something with you. It's, wow, I, it's, I don't know how many poker players I've talked to, but it was just like, wow, should I just give up or this? And I've never had that thought, like maybe once or twice throughout these seven years, but I've never been like, should I just give up or like this and this? I've always been like, I know this is something I want to do. Just pull it back together, take a break and try to enjoy life in the same way as you were talking about. Like sometimes you need to focus on your life too, because if it's all about poker the whole time, you're going to get crazy eventually, you know, it's, that's how it is. Yeah. So how does the, like, reflecting again on the question that Adam asked, like, what's the bigger picture? How does the big picture also change for you? Because I feel like with, I mean, when you grow, right, you might thought a certain thing was very important at a certain stage of your life, but then later you find that something else is important. As you grow, your perspectives grow, your experience grows. So the big picture keeps on changing. The overall big picture, I think you use the word happiness a lot, right? Yeah. Like what, and what gives you happiness might change. So what you then focus on to acquire happiness or what at that moment gives you joy changes. So I feel like the big, big picture is always, you know, that we live, that we have nice experiences, have a good day-to-day -day life, be quote, quote, happy. Even though in a previous podcast, someone uh, labeled that as a fluffy word, happiness, but let's just use it for, for the sake. Yeah, yeah. The end goal, the big picture is always happiness. But I feel like the more, the smaller goals is what kind of experience or what can I put my time in that could lead to a little mini happiness that leads to the bigger picture, which is overall overall life satisfaction. Let's let's call it that way. So we have happiness and then the bigger picture is the overall life satisfaction. How does that change yes. based on obviously three years ago, what you considered to be a useful experience for your bigger picture is maybe different than now. So I've always been a believer in working hard, like not always, I'm not going to say always because I was a lazy guy before, but the thing is, if I like something, I get super obsessed and I like to work. I, it, for me, it's enjoyment almost. People will call it work hard. For me, I enjoy the process. But the thing about me, I've been traveling so much and uh, I think I started traveling again now beginning of August, but then I was home for three months and I, my friends were saying all along, like, I can't remember the last time you were home for this long, you know? And for me, I'm still going to travel. But the thing is, I'm, I was so happy at home at a uh, home in Norway. I love Norway, man. This is why I don't move for tax reasons or whatever people would say. I, I, I don't mind paying it because I love Norway. I'm close to my family, friends, you know? And this gives me happiness. This is good for me. It's like, it's a balance in life because you're playing poker. You're fighting every day. It's like, very competitive and then you get back to some stability you know for me this is like a level of balance which keeps me like it keeps my foot on the ground and it's just 
it, this for me is happening is just seeing my friends and because these are, these are friends I've had for like 20 years, you know, it's like, and, and when you're back home, no, when you're traveling, you're missing out on birthday parties or my friends having kids and this and my family going through things, you know, it's like, for me, this finding this balance has always been difficult, but in the, um, uh, I remember after EPT Monaco, I told myself, I'm going to do less of the traveling. I'm going to shorten the travels. I'm going to focus more on what's good for me. I'm going to start working out more. I'm going to focus a bit more on myself because I've been giving so much of myself to poker that it's time to like reevaluate, try to reward yourself a little bit and try to like get some balance, you know, because mm-hmm. yeah, poker is, uh, I love poker. Don't misunderstand. It's just, I also love myself. Yeah, it you know? can consume you, right? At some point it can, maybe at some point you you spend so much time in it that it kind of surpasses the bigger picture goal. Exactly. And then there are some times where it's going to be more intense and this and this. But yeah, I, I do feel not... like you need to go through a certain phase where basically poker is, is the big, short, medium picture, everything, right? Yes. You need to go through that process. You need to find out how it is to grind because this is the part of the learning process. Everything, you know, it's, it's everything you did. Just remember if I could go back 10 years and see, no, let's say seven years and see how stupid I was, you know, it's just, it, I probably wouldn't take it back because I probably learned something and probably made me to who I am today. You know, I, I couldn't see those things before because when I was playing poker, I was by far the youngest. You know, everybody's been playing for 15, 10 years. You know, I was, I was always the youngest. I'm still kind of the youngest in the high roller scene, but you know, I'm, I'm feeling like I grew up in a certain way where instead of like trying to show off and trying to get gain some respect, I don't care too much about it. I care more about building friendships and I know we're competitors at the poker table, but like being nice to people is not like a, yes, some people will dislike my gimmicks at the table you know i'm sitting there trolling people in 100k where it's just like nobody would ever do this like me and sam grafting having fun just like talking shit and having fun which i would do the same in a 2k you know it's like yeah you don't play it any different no i try to like for sure strategy wise i play way different but my table manners will stay the same because i just enjoy the social concept around it because if everything gets too serious now my motivation might slack off, you know? It's like, because yeah, I'm, no, I, 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 I'm... I get it, and especially person. with especially with your experience, right? You want to have fun. Actually, I, when I was in... Uh, I actually was in Vegas this summer, and I saw... What's her name? This chess... Botas, the, the streamer. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, chess yeah, 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 And as she was playing 2-5, and then someone says, why is she playing 2-5? And I was like reflecting on the social aspect of the game. It was like a Friday night, 9 o'clock, she was playing 2-5, and I was playing 10-20-40. And I was like, yeah. mm, if I would sit here from a fun social spec- perspective, probably you should sit at 2-5 the way the 10, 20, 40 game is at the moment. So I yeah. get it, right? It's, you know? it's also, it, yeah, you want some, like the money, the money factor doesn't really matter for her. Like she can play fucking 200, 400, 500, 1K or something or 2-5, but that's not why, why, why she's there. So the immediate irony of all this, like usually in there will be more serious and more robotic behavior in a lower game than a super high game. This is like yeah, the irony like, of the... 
low low game is very social then like the medium end becomes a bit like serious and then very high becomes if it's this what we talked about earlier a 10 nl hand yeah. like a 10k nl hand well yeah. a 500 uh, a 500 nl table life can look like 500k nl table life right it's exactly and this is like the point like okay i can sit there and grind my ass off but for me this is not a thing i want to do for a, like a long period of time this is just i've been through it all that i've done it I yeah just, and also i don't that, want to that, that way would cost you way more energy at least now you can the way you it's also comes way more natural for you but when there is a nicer vibe at the day we also get more energy back right it's like oh it's a more enjoyable yeah. experience and okay fuck it everyone headphones on and uh uh yeah the time the time does it pass by yeah 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 and uh I, I for sure use my headset too at the poker tables when just like when there's like a very serious point of the tournament or the cash game where like people are like this. But at most of the time, I'm trying to like make the experience both fun for me and for the people around me because this is why we all started playing because of the complexity and fun it is. It's like the social thing and like this. Yeah, it's easier to keep yourself motivated and use less energy on it if you're actually having fun. Yeah, and then you get the energy back. You mentioned that even you, when you lose, you get a hit in confidence. Uh, yeah. How does how does a lack of confidence impact your game? Like, how does your game look different when you are in low confidence and high confidence that that you noticed? I get very self-critical. Like, I become very like, am I really that good, or is this my entitlement? And like, because I've had this like mental game problems before, like. What, very badly and then it, i get very self-critical can i really do this and then there are points in my career i just start feeling very bad for myself but luckily i just like get out of it fast you know it's like a very it's like a one two day thing i just like feel bad for myself i get like but luckily now and then i just started thinking about like i said what my sister told me once like appreciate the things you have around you just look just appreciate it and just remember where it came from. And like, you know, this lesson helped me a lot. Like, and she said, like, if you don't like it anymore, don't do it. You're nice words. <laughs> and in terms of actual, when you're playing, for example, if you're low confidence, do you maybe not make the bluff or fold a little bit more? Or do you have no problem staying aggressive? So... This is a thing that's very easy to say, which I can't say with 100% confidence, but I would say it does affect me a little bit. Yes, of course. I would say I was not, I would not be a human if it didn't. But I, th I think in some sense it affects me less because I, like, like I said, the money has not always been the thing for me. It's like been like trying to really believe what I do is the best solution to the problem because if you look at it, it like you have opponents you have a problem and you're trying to solve it correct and then that's what i've i've always been like i'm trying to find a problem to solve okay maybe it didn't pan out this time but in the long run this is going to solve the problems way more times than the other time you know and this is the way i've been looking at it so i think for sure it does affect me i, I wouldn't be human if it didn't but i think in some way, maybe it affects me less without, I can't say that with 100% certainty, but uh, uh, I would say like the most financial stable uh, poker players would suffer less with this problem because money is a huge motivation for most people. Like money does affect me a little bit. I'm not going to say it doesn't because it does for sure. 
it, it does with everybody. I just think like these things affect me a little bit less than maybe the general population of poker. Maybe, I, I don't know. Maybe no, it that doesn't. makes sense. Yeah. But like so, also like, for example, because yes, we're solving puzzles and yes, you're just trying to make the best decision. But then for example, if I talk from my experience, you see the variables, but it's almost like when you're in low confidence, your first thought is sort of right or your gut is sort of right. But because of your low confidence, you don't trust it as much. And then I can suddenly think of something else or like, yeah, intuitively, I think this play is good, but I'm not sure because, you know, I'm a bit low confidence. I will just do what is quote, quote, normal. It's yeah, kind I, of like, I would yeah. say there, there's less, there's less creativity involved in my game. If I'm low confident than if I'm high confident where I'm way more trusting my gut and be like, ah, oh, fuck it. I know this yeah. is, this is quite YOLO, but Hey, I feel like it's good. Let's do it. Yeah, that's the point. Like, if you ask some of my friends, they'll like poker friends, they'll tell you I'm bipolar at this because sometimes two, one, let's say one, two, three days, four afters, after I can just be like, ah, oh, I'm just gonna grind it out on five ten and two five and just chill out. I don't think I'm cut out for this. And then one week later, they see me on twenty five fifty fifty one hundred again, and just like, I mean, what happened to the grind? They're like, ah, I was like, ah, fuck it. I think <laughs> who was you know, I, I kidding? Can, who was I kidding? Yeah. <laughs> just like I can get low confidence and I'm like, who am I kidding? I'm way better than this and this. And this is like the good thing about my entitlement, maybe. Like just maybe that's the good sign. Like, yeah, it annoys me a little short while and then I get back on my horse and just like, this is where I belong. I just gotta stabilize and just be prepared for whatever happens. You know, it's just like, yeah. I can be become a bit, bit bipolar on this. I'm gonna admit it. And my friends will uh, say the same thing. <laughs> I, th I think I think just the na the nature of poker kind of pulls out the bipolar tendencies in people because of the swings, right? You, yeah, you, you. If you have just a normal, steady day to day, you don't have the ups and downs, so your bipolar character maybe comes out less than in poker, where you can suddenly get a rush of winnings, dopamine, you feel like a fucking king, and then the opposite also happens. So I think naturally we, a poker players. Yeah, they will show a bit more of the bipolar tendencies that I think everyone has to a certain degree in inside of them. I was also wondering, you mentioned that every time you move up to the stage, you will get slaughtered, okay? Yeah. And then put, put back down. What in your, if you, if, you, if you reflect, which jump in stakes was the hardest for you? And why was it so hard? And what were kind of some leaks in your approach towards the game of poker that you had to fix to establish yourself at the next level? 1020 to 2550, without a doubt. It, this was just like impossible for me. For some reason, I was playing mostly the same opponents, but I was just getting slaughtered. And I found out like my biggest leak was I was over bluffing against guys who would over call. Like this was like the biggest leak. And I would continue to do it because I, in my head, it was the correct thing to do because I. I've been so used to it, like just hammering over people. But then at some point I realized like, okay, these guys are going to call me too much. And then what is the point? Like you think it's good, but maybe you should reevaluate and be like, and this took me like three or four times before it happened. Like, yeah, it's just, and uh, after a while, after like a year, I was like, okay, maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe I'm just like, I'll, I'll go check. And then I just checked and I was like, ah, oh, maybe I do bluff this hand too much. And it's like, oh, I go check this over. Oh, it's not that 
you're not supposed to bluff it that much. And then I became like, okay, if I'm not supposed to bluff it that much and people overcall me, maybe I shouldn't bluff it at all. You know, this is like, and so this is like, what, what, what was it like hands that people started showing up with? So you were it, like, they, call they, and they, they would were, be call with a hand. We were like, hmm, maybe they're they overcalling. There was, I have one example of this. This happened after actually, um, after I realized this, but I was playing four, six, four Daryl go on, um, 100, 200 on heads up on GG. And we've been playing some heads up, like, and I think we're like pretty, I think I'm up a little bit in bias, but he's like winning the most money because he's been crushing me on the bigger stakes. But then he was like, yeah, there was this one hand where he opened the button. I called the big blind and the flop was like 10, nine deuce. And I had nine, six and I went check call. Turn was an ace. I went check and he went B75 and I made a big raise with nice with like middle pair, which is like not a thing at all. But I thought like maybe he was just like, yeah, I was just trying to like make, because I felt like he was betting like Mergy with these types of hands. Like this, like, yeah, you yeah, put Mergy, Mergy hands. If he folds some equity, that's fine. He sometimes calls worse, sometimes folds better. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I can feel you, man. I can feel you. Yeah. Yeah. So I raised. And he called, and the river was like an eight. So like my bluff is gonna be like queen jack and jack eight and seven eight, right? And then I ended up like thinking, um, okay, I beat jack eight. I beat seven eight if he still has that, which is sick, like sick merch. Let's let's get it. Yeah, and it was not like a merge. Now I decided to make my middle pair into a bluff on the turn. This was like the whole point. I was making it, I was doing it. Because it's a fold on the turn, you can't call. Fall is like the worst option here. So I ended up jamming, and he went through his time bank, and it was like, <laughs> and he had like ten seconds left, and he ended up calling kings, you know. And then yeah, so then I, I went to check this. I think Yuri Pelling or something released a video of this hand. So the thing is, like, so I ended up bluffing this hand against a guy, which I still have this like. Because I talked with him in Vietnam about this, and he was like, "Yeah, you bluff too much." And I was like, "Yeah, I do." <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's why I call. And like my my hand was not a raise, and his hand was like a pure fold. And then we we the thing. But is, his hand I, becomes a pure call if you raise nine six. It's correct, exactly, and that's what we were discussing. Like, and I, I just got like very self aware. Like maybe I'm just trying to outplay people too much, and then. This was like a syndrome I had from before. Like I was trying to outplay everybody every time instead of, especially people like kind of respected, like in their poker skill wise, you know, it's not like I give them immediate respect and fair after it's like, yeah, just, so I ended up like this hand was just like, oh, dude, I bluff too much. And then I just quit the session and I was like, ah. I, I got to work. Uh, now I'm falling back to the same trap. Like, yeah, I'm trying to outplay everybody instead of playing like the best form of poker I know. Yeah. And then outplaying someone, which I guess then goes naturally. Sometimes, like, I, 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 I usually say this to people who maybe sometimes fight too much for pots and especially versus opponents who don't fold. Like I said, usually I think it's a good approach, but then they confuse sort of uh, winning the pot with making the plus a V play because if you're aggressive you're going to win the pot percentage wise more often but it might be that you're making a minus ev play which is Correct. you know it's really weird because winning the you 
you can make yeah. a play that will never win you the pot that's higher EV than making the play that <coughs> might win you the pot a certain percentage of the time. Yeah, you're so winning. It, you don't, you don't get the reward. You know? Yeah, you're you winning get a bit in red line, but you're losing more in blue line, basically, or yeah. the other way around. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and you mentioned yeah. red line, blue line, so I'm sure you can you can yeah. uh, relate to this. Uh, to... Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, so this was like the big leak I had. Like, I was just trying to outplay everybody. Like, maybe people I respected more or like hero call more against them. But I think I've gotten way better at it. And it's just been like, but it, it, take, it takes some like self-exploring. Like, you got to be, yeah, it takes some self-exploring. And it, it hurts your ego to like realize and then working on it. It hurts because you've been sticking to a system. It's been working for a long time. And now you have to like, change it you know what and, i mean it's like... and the ego can definitely blind you in a spot like this from the information because the ego would just say wow that call with kings is so bad and yeah, it will stop the reflective process yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. it stops the reflective thought. process well again it's like under which circumstances is kings a good call reflect on it are these circumstances actually present do i want to admit that they are actually present and then you look up maybe in the solvers like okay yes i will definitely be over bluffing here so if yeah. if I if there's a spot where I'm over bluffing and someone makes a light call, I'm like, mm, yeah, okay, I got owned here. Yeah, that's uh, exactly. Two days after I realized, like, damn, yeah, maybe I understand why he called now. And then because he's he had that perception of me, and it wasn't wrong at all. It wasn't wrong. And then I talked to him about it, and then he was like, yeah. But yeah, he's like a fantastic player. Also, obviously, he's. Uh, Big time crusher all, all throughout the years. Yeah, it's about time that he comes on the pot, in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, maybe, maybe uh, I'll, I'll shoot him a text and say you're a decent guy. <laughs> you, you you nowadays also play a lot of uh, MTTs, right? The high roller, especially this year, you've done very well. Um, if you had to choose choose between cash games or MTTs, which one would you prefer, and why would that have your preference? Uh, I think cash games, the flexibility, the work whenever I want to situation. I wouldn't be forced to play during the series and Sundays. And I don't like to be forced to do anything. I, I just don't like the ultimatum thing is just like so annoying. I just don't like, oh, you have to play this Sunday because or else you can't play before next Sunday. Or you have to play every day during the series. It's just, it feels very forced, you know. And that removes uh, the fun out of it. Yeah, and that removes the fun out of it. Exactly. And then I try to play a mix of all the things. And then whenever I feel like it, I play. And then, yeah, during the scoop, I play like maybe two days or something. Whereas I have friends who play every day and just grind it out. Like really hard workers, obviously. But then they take vacation for like two months, you know? Yeah. Well, I try to like keep it a bit more stable instead. And then... Yeah, so it's, I, so I, it's mainly from a lifestyle perspective that you would say cash games, not necessarily from a, a yeah, interest so, in the strategy. So, yeah, it's like, I, I don't know what you mean about strategy, but it's like... No, so like, for example, if you look at the just purely playing a, playing a tournament towards playing cash games... Like from yeah. uh, how much it intrigues you strategically. Oh, 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 that's what you mean. No, how the I, format, I, how the format intrigues you. No, I actually do enjoy uh, the strategy of tournaments too. I think it's very interesting. It's very complex. And in the beginning, I was like trashing MPT players, but now I've 
really have found like a big respect for all of them. They're soldiers and they really, wow, they, some of them play really, really well, you know? Before I was like, wow, they, I think they all suck, you know? You know how cash game players are, you know? That's how we do. It's just like, yeah, they all suck and we're way better and blah. It's like a competition thing. But And I was, and to my surprise, they're all very, very good. Especially in the higher roller scene, yeah, I was gonna say obviously in the yeah. higher roller scene for sure, right? Bigger feuds obviously attracts also more semi semi pro semi or more recreational players. Yes, and this is the thing. Like I think the EV you gain from playing tournaments is hot, probably higher. I think instead of battling regs on the highest stakes on cash, but also like you meet a lot of cool guys. Like many of those guys who play tournaments are really nice and smart and cool guys like they really are and everybody thinks it's so uptight and blah 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 but it really isn't they really are talkative and friendly and making friendly bets and talking about random things and you know well sometimes in like a 2550 game it might get live it might get very boring and robotic and everybody's like there to play you know that was my general impression from the limited amount of time i played live obviously there are some exceptions some guys are naturally more social but I wouldn't say if I would go there to have fun, which was actually definitely part of my motivation to go. Uh, that part was only a little bit satisfied. Now, I, it did help because people would start talking to me because they recognize me. So I guess yeah. that would that would be a conversation started. So I had more social interaction than another guy that maybe would sit down at the poker tables. But yeah, that was definitely, uh, from a live perspective, a bit disappointed. Um, yeah. yeah, understandable. I was curious, what is the worst advice you've ever been given or that you think is popular advice given by the poker community that you strongly disagree with? Hmm. This is a tough one. Ah, wow, this is a very tough one. Um, maybe being too strict with like bankroll management is like, like trying to lock up way too much too early. Like being very like, let's say you're beginning of your poker career, you win like 300k. Instead of having your belief that you can continue to rise up the stakes, you just like lock up 200k and just stay in your lane. This is like, this is something I would say is like a very bad advice in general. Instead of like trying to <laughs> progressing and getting better and better and trying to like, like yeah, get get some respect and confidence and trying to like improve and make progress and these things are very important for every person because it's very easy to say like this guy's a lockbox and this guy's a lockbox but if you if you just try i think it's going to work out way many more times than it isn't like mm -hmm. i think people are a bit too afraid maybe mm -hmm. i think it's like everybody doesn't have their they don't need to have like their uh, foot on the gas the whole time like maybe i did a bit too much but I feel like pe people are very, like, they're trying to, like, show off by sh saying, oh, I don't do this because I'm very strict with my money and I I don't buy this because I'm trying to take care of my money. Okay, but what is the point of earning a lot of money if you can't use it on things you like? Have we gotten too responsible as uh, poker players? Yeah, it's like, I think the way it, has become is like people have seen like a lot of players gone busto and 
like just you don't see them again and then they go way too much over to the other side kind of yeah they... because I, I definitely think that you know for example i played started playing poker what 13 years ago or something some yeah. extra responsibility on the average poker player was not a bad idea but like yeah. like you're saying now maybe we have now surpassed that point to a certain degree that you know you should only play on a table with a fish you should only you should uh, only move up if you have 100 buy-ins or something like that or yeah, yeah a bit more a bit more cautious advice based on indeed all the people that have uh, that have lost they've lost the battle I think it's I think it's more about the fear of people knowing you lost a lot of money and the the way they will look at you kind of you know what i mean the because let's say money is like a social status thing you know let's and say, they maybe, let's say hypothetically yeah but it, it for sure is and people will look down on you if you have like less money kind of and i feel like in the at the poker table people feel the same way kind of mm -hmm. you know and I, I i've tried to like not talk to about much much about money and these things people are very curious and then this is like a very personal thing like my closest friend i tell them like this i buy I'm going to do this and this, and this is something else. But like, I don't think it's anybody's business. I don't think it's like, I don't think it's cool that people would ever do this. I, I mean, some of the guys I respect, like, I see a lot of like newcomers, like they similar of me, but maybe a little bit more responsible, uh, responsible, uh, these kids like are good kids. Like I see from Norway, like as. I'm not going to name names now, but I, I talked to them yesterday and then I, I, I'm going to start a study group with them and try to help them achieve what they want and buy action when they want to sell. And, and this is something I take pride in because I want to help people do the right thing. Like these are younger kids, you know, and they're trying very hard and I've, I've been there and I, I wish I had the same type of person that could help me when I was there, you know? Mm -hmm. But I was always a lonely lone wolf, and then, yes, I for sure had some friends who I talk poker with, and they helped me a lot. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, like having like a kind of good role model in poker is like it can be very important for their progress. And if they do well, I might do well buying action. You, you know, it's like a you help me, you scratch my back, I scratch yours thing, and and I enjoy the process because I'm, and maybe I'm a bit empath, um, like I'm. I'm striving to be very empathic or whatever, but I, that those are the things I find like enjoyable because seeing people progress. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't want to become like a coach on full time, but I feel like if I know them well and they're Norwegian and they're young and they're hungry, it's like, and I can help them a bit. That would be like super awesome. Yeah. I mean, and how, how the coaching experience is for the coach is very much dependent on the type of students you have on. So if you're just taking on a bunch of students, you will have a lot more bad experience. But if you feel sort of intrinsically motivated to help people who reached out, probably they have certain characteristics that of people that you would like to help with, right? You feel intrinsically the motivation to try to help them out. And if you can share some of your knowledge, like you did today, like I'm I'm sure there's going to be so many people who are going to listen to this and take motivation from that. So how, how does that feel yeah, that you're motivating uh, you know, all it, of the listeners? In a, in a strange way, it feels very good because I feel like if I can help somebody become better, that's 
that's of course very nice it's like many people don't know these things that i've said to you now so it's going to be like a shocker for people who hear it the first time but it, this the journey wasn't always easy you know it's it's been a struggle it's been hard it's been tough it's been mentally tough but you know what i'm here today and it's like i think it's defined me who am i when who i am as a person and I, I really enjoyed the process when i think back of it it was like when i was in the military the first three months was living hell but when i think back at it it was like wow it was actually super fun you know yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of these experiences shape you in a certain way. In hindsight, they're always uh, they were always worth it. But in the moment, sometimes you feel like, why the fuck do I keep putting myself in these kind <laughs> yeah, of positions? Exactly, it's <laughs> like, right? what the fuck am I doing here now? I should be in school or something. This is just waste of time, you know. But at the end, you just like if you really want something and you work hard and you push on, you, most of the times you will get there. You know, it's like. But it's confidence is like super vital. If you feel like people around you are bringing you down and these things, and then, I mean, sorry to say, but most of the times they shouldn't be in your life. It's just, it's very bad for you as a person. Support and confidence and like love from the closest ones you have is very important for every person. You know, you ha you need, sometimes you need to lean your head on a shoulder or something just to like relax. Because you're gonna get a lot of like slaps in the face in the poker business. This yeah, is and, and have and have someone like, for example, you mentioned your sister to tell you that everything is going to be okay and look around you and just change your perspective when you're feeling down. Yeah, and my brother too. Like in the beginning, he was very skeptical, but now the last years he's been super supportive and he's showing it to my nephews and nieces, and they're all like, my whole family is super supportive, watching every time. I'm like these these things, they help. Me. They want to make me better as well because I want to make them proud of me. Yeah, and especially to your nieces, nephews. You're sort of now an example, right? So yeah. So th this is just super cool, and all my friends are watching and then sending me pictures and laughing, and it's like super, like it's super cool. I'm a, I must say it's like I I've, I don't, I don't like the attention too much on this unless like I get the support. Like it's like. The support just makes it 10 times easier. Like Yeah, to, I mean, to have other people celebrate with you. So how was it? Because I know that very recently you finally won your first trophy, right? You played oh, the yeah. Rollers, you meant second, fourth, fifth, third, <laughs> second, first, finally. Yeah. How did that feel then? Dude, it was such a relief, I must say. Dude, if I had lost one more time, I would... You know, it does something with you. You're just like, I need to win this trophy. I, I've said it in all higher, I need to win one of these trophy and bring it back. And just like, it was something I had to do. You know, this is why I started playing MPT to get this trophy. Like just, just show like my family something. This is something I got. Like this is something I will probably have for the next rest of my life. You know, this is what I did. Like this is some type of accomplishment. It's not about the money. It's just like, I was a winner, you know, for them. It's I, like, I understand you don't have that in cash games. We should introduce like, quarterly leaderboards where cash game players can win trophies. What do you think? Like yeah, a first yeah, prize, second prize, a medal idea. or something. That would be amazing. Yeah, but GG would probably be up for it. This is like a super All right, cool I'm, I'm going to get in touch with GG straight away. Say, okay, yeah. we need to start uh, We need to start introducing uh, yeah, some uh, cash trophies. Game, cash game guys get too little respect in today's community. It's like all about the tournaments. But man, some of these cash game players, like especially on the highest stakes, they're super super sickos you know and they start playing tournaments and just start crushing they're just super good 
in the past, probably before your time, you used to have a side poker table ratings and there you could win badges. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but it was kind of similar and you would you would chase like a certain badge, like, oh, I finally I finally have this badge now on my profile. And you it would really give like some sort of motivation. I think actually stars as like a badge that shows how many hands yeah. you have. I sometimes see like two million. Yeah. I have on purpose, like I'm a 500 hand player, you know, I have like the opposite. But sometimes I see guys, 10 million hands, like what the fuck? Yeah, we can see with the EPT title and everything. Yeah, there. yeah. So, uh, so they're already thinking about something like this. And I definitely think, I, th I think it's definitely good. Let's say, for example, they could have like, uh, the guy who had the highest aggression factor over the last quarter, that guy should also get rewarded, you know? So you can, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can make it a bit a, a bit more fun, I think, for uh, for us cash game players. Because, yeah, in the end, you don't you don't get a trophy. I mean, I would love a trophy, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, but cash game players don't get enough recognition. This is just how it is. It's just like... I mean, it also makes sense, right? I mean, tournaments are way easier glamorified to, to the marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Then, so for example, if, if if you tell your 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 family, hey, I'm on the final table, and they can actually look at it and some sort of enjoyment, but hey, I'm playing in this live cash game, like nothing happens. Yeah. Did he win already? No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How does this work? They don't know what's going on, man. They're just like yeah, yeah. the funniest thing about me being on TV. They're just trying to coach me after. This is like the best part. They're just like, oh, why didn't you do this? I was like, yeah, but you can see the cards. It's kind of easier for you, you know. Yeah, already. <laughs> that, that, oh, it helps if you can see the cards. Oh, does that uh, give you a biased yeah. opinion? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so this is like, but you know, the support and everything is great. And uh, my friends around me, everything is, it's super cool. And it's, yeah, I'm really enjoying the moment. Yeah. No, it's like last year or something. I've really been enjoying myself. And uh, I feel like I'm on a good path to like, not just to become a better poker player, but also like a better person for people around me. And, you know, it just, yeah, I think character is a lot of, like it's way more than poker you know if you're like a stable good person outside of the poker table it might just help you calm your nerves when you're playing you just at your a game way more frequently than you usually would be i mean it's also and this is kind of what i get from your story is when you have your life in order and you feel great and you go sit down at the poker table and you can just enjoy it because you don't need anything out of it you already feel good about yourself that's when good performance happens. If you need poker success in order to feel good about yourself or something like that, then imagine how much is suddenly on the line. And this increases pressure enormously. And usually the more we are in a state of lack, or like I really need this, the more frustration comes up and the more actually the opposite will actually happen. So I, listening to your story, I think this is definitely either consciously or unconsciously a very good uh, strategy or, or quality of yours. Adam, I have a question for you as well. We we just touched on a little bit. Maybe poker players have become too responsible. In your experience working with players, do they usually have to work on becoming more responsible or are there some people that kind of surpass it and like, listen, you're being so responsible. You Let's say, for example, you have very rigid structure every day, but you're you're, you're just miserable. Like there's, mm. there's both ends of the spectrum, I can imagine. Yeah, I think as Kayan touched on, a lot of players go one of two ways. I say the majority lack structure. They lack a kind of routine. They lack being professional and they're still learning how to optimize their lifestyle, so to speak. But then you get the other guys who go way far the other way and they're so rigid, so um, by the minutes and everything's in a structure that they need to loosen up. So my kind of way is 
if you're the over-structured person, you generally need to work on creating more flexibility, laying uh, more mistakes, being more relaxed. But a lot of players are still working on creating that structure. And I think sometimes you've got to play with extremes. I think if you're someone, let's think the average poker player, he's generally fairly young. Uh, let's say he's living by himself. He's got very little responsibilities. He's maybe came out of school or a, a, a job or a graduate. And he's used to being a free, a free kind of guy. Now he sits down to play a computer game that he likes and he's got money involved. There's a lot to figure out to create this this kind of person, this avatar into a, a professional version of himself. So uh, I think sometimes you've got to go almost too far. I think Kayan has mentioned as well, he's went too rigid, working too hard, grinding too hard. And you've almost got to play around with those variables and push those to extremes sometimes to find that kind of middle ground. How do you get the most out of yourself? I think the, the main thing is how do you create a kind of a workflow or a system for um, executing your performance, but also enjoying your life. So I think it's that this kind of interplay between the two. See, so yeah, I think it's a, it's a challenge for a lot of players. I think most players would be on the unstructured side, but the ones who are too structured, you guys listening, you know who you are, you need to listen up. Uh, so yeah, I've got a question to ask, because I know a lot of this conversation's been around learning lessons, and you've been someone who's been picking lessons from all different areas of your life as you've been growing. So I'm curious to know, what's the most important lesson that poker has taught you? Wow, oh, that's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, we're on the entitlement thing, and I think, in the whole in my whole life i felt entitled i felt like deserving and these things and i think maybe poker taught me like maybe you only deserve what you actually work hard for and are passionate for and like you work for you you're not entitled to more things than other people like because it's very easy to feel bad for yourself and feel like i deserve this and this and this like i talked about earlier i think my biggest lessons have been like because he, I had a tendency to be like a bit like maybe arrogant ish I would say like I could be like treating people differently like this but like I think the the thing it taught me like treat people the same way and like treat the people the way you want to be treated yourself I think I learned that by loosening up my entitlement and my ego a little bit and just trying to be like because you know, at some point, you're just going to be feel like you're way better than everybody else. And you're going to feel sorry. This is like a circle, like a very bad circle to get in. And in many years, I would say, like, even growing up, I had this problem. And I think, like, finally, I'm moving a bit out of it. Yes, sometimes I have it still. But I think it's, like, in a healthy way now. It, it, it's hard to explain. But it's, like, definitely days where I'm back to normal again. But... I feel like I've learned like it's important to be a good person as well as a good poker player like it's like it has both things like you shouldn't really reflect on your achievements on other people like just shove it in their face or like showing people you have more money than them or some these things have be before because I wanted to give a big fuck you to everybody who doubted me you know it was like a I was kind of hurt. My ego was very hurt, you know? It's like, and I think I learned like, it's only important for what people you care about and people around you think and just everything else is noise, kind of. So I think my entitlement, my ego, I think everything has been, I've been slapped in the face so many times. I think I learned my lesson, kind of. Mm -hmm. And my, it, it, yeah, I think that's been my biggest struggle in a lot of my life. And I think now, I'm finally getting to a better place. I'm still working on it. I'm not, uh, it's all about progress on perfection. And then 
that's what I try every day to do, like try to treat people well and help people when I can. And, you know, just, just that actually. Yeah, I think that fits into your overall evolution as a person. I think you mentioned in the start of the conversation that you had a chip on your shoulder, so to speak, when you started. You wanted to prove that I was wrong. That was motivating you. I can't let them I can't let them say I'm failing. I'm going to show them I'm going to do it. So this creates a uh, kind of fragile ego, which is trying to uh, prove to others. It almost tries to protect itself with its own constructs. It's like, I, I'm going to show other people I deserve this. I'm good enough. And very quickly, you can create this kind of entitlement expectations to over overcompensate for your... Yeah, almost like insecurity around that. But as you've got more fulfilled, more successful, you're more sure of yourself. You don't need the external metrics. You don't need to prove to anybody. You're much more happy in yourself. And as a result of that, naturally, uh, that need for entitlement, that need for uh, expectations that things go well is just lowered and lowered to the point now where it's like, it's just background noise. It's obviously still there to some degree, as you mentioned. I think it's good to know that most successful people in life generally have some form of ego, some form of high confidence, some form of, I will back myself to get out of a situation and beat competition. There's an element of that that's intertwined with a high level competitor. So you, you hold on to that, but at the same time, it's, it's balanced. It's not in a nice place where it's not toxic. So you mentioned a few times, well, building your character. I love this. I almost think life's a video game and we're all leveling up our character. So I'm interested to know um, what sort of character traits you feel like you, you've formed over the years, which you're most proud of. So I've always been like a joker and having fun and just like, I've been very like the clown, basically. I've been that all my life. And I think I was being very irresponsible when I was younger. I was um, very self-centered. I think I was very, very self-centered. Um, I think also I was struggling to find out when I should be serious and when I should be not be serious. And I think all of these like bad traits have been turned into good traits. Like I can be the clown, but I can also be serious when it's needed. Um, yes, I can be self-centered, but I can also show empathy and try to help people around me. You know, it's like, and the irresponsibility, like I have never had to think about anybody else than myself and my family. But now I think like, I try to spend more time to try to like focus what people around me also needs from me and vice versa. And just like, yeah, just to be good to people around me and not be so self-centered because there was a period of time I was thinking about nothing else than poker. I was not showing up to birthday parties. I was not like, you know, I was just, my life was poker. And now I think sometimes I can just like say, okay, I'm going to travel home a few days uh, earlier instead. I'm going to play one session less and I'm going to prioritize this because it means a lot to them that I'm coming and these are my friends, this is my family, you know, it's like the, all these things have been like very important for me like the later years. And I think it's all about like growing up and seeing like, it's a perspective thing. Like, you know, okay, we have poker and we have a lot. I'm also supposed to live. I can't be just like the poker player all, all day, all year, you know? And I think these are like the traits, like I felt like my character has built all over the, over the years. I was like, usually very, I'm still a bit lazy. I'm not going to say, but like, I, I would have like a very, not dirty, but I would like, it would be not very clean. And I would be very lazy about these things. But now I've been like, very important to like, go work out sometimes, like just not, not ever go to the gym. That would be like, that's what I used to do. I would just play instead and be. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like I've been growing a lot since my last years. And I was like acting very immature, I would say. At a, yeah, I think the last 
maybe like three years I've been like maturing. I think COVID helped me a lot when I had to like self-reflect a lot and it wasn't a lot of social thing. I think COVID helped me a lot. And before that I could be very immature. I could be very like bit arrogant and yeah, very self-centered and be like, I'm better than you. And like you said, fragile ego. And then I wanted to prove myself. And then now that I see it's like, these things are all noises. I'm just trying to feed my own ego. And then <clears throat> I try to focus more on the good things in my life and just take care of those things because it's way more important to have good things around you than money, wealth, and status. That's the way I feel it, at least. I just, yeah, I think it comes to a point where money won't make you happy anymore. It just, mm. I'm not saying I am that rich and that's happened or anything. I'm just saying, how much money do you actually need? You know, mm. how much like uh, confidence boosts do you need from people? How much recognition do you actually need? You know, it's like what you actually need is to have good people around you. And if you have good people around you, it's going to reflect on when you play poker or doing your job or other things, you know, these mm. things have like uh, shine, a, uh, shine a light on me and like being like, yeah, I've kind of, yeah, understood those things more and more. I'm, I'm still like, like I said, it's still progress. It's not perfection. I'm just trying to work on these things. And yeah, I think that's been good for me. Yeah, I think it's interesting as well with you. All these character traits weren't like new character traits that you've developed. You've almost just like fine-tuned the ones you've got. I think that's often the way like life works. We think that things are like good or bad. So for example, like being self-centered, that's good for focusing yourself, studying hard, putting yourself away and learning stuff. But if you push that too far, you become selfish. You don't give your time to other people or help people. Also being serious can be great in, in certain some contexts, but it could also be a, a negative. You also mentioned being the clown, being the fun guy to be around great in certain situations but you can push that too far so i think it's sometimes like we mold our character and it's not like black and white or this these traits are good these are bad we just become a version of ourselves that allows us to live the life we want and to fine tune when our character traits become too uh, one-sided so to speak so it's going to create that balance between uh, the character traits so uh, you mentioned self-reflection which i was interested about you said you've been able to self-reflect especially during COVID times what does your self-reflection process look like how do you uh, go internal to look at how your acting and operating what are some practices that you've that's been useful for you no so the thing is i had like uh during covid i had like a big talk with people around me and this this i was starting to get very unhealthy my life was yeah you could just notice i wasn't very happy i was waking up at like 2 3 p.m again and i'm being very late and so after a while uh i moved back home for like two months during covid because there wasn't it wasn't that easy finding an apartment in Oslo. But then when I moved to Oslo and during COVID, I started working out while I was playing. I was playing a lot and working out, like just focusing on my mental health. Because when you're unhealthy and generally unhappy, it does something with your brain that you don't sleep well, you do bad things, and then you just go into like a bad circle and then you just make those bad things even worse. But I think like I started like I lost a lot of weight and I tried to like work out and I, everything reflected on my game after I noticed, like they say, like, if you change your way into a life where you're happy, you will also play better and be better and in every aspect. And then I think during COVID that's the time I was, I was getting a routine. I was going to sleep at 3 AM every night and waking up at 11. And I had this like perfect routine for like a year and everything in my life just got way better after it was just, yeah. So I had a lot of time to self-reflect. It took some time to get there. It wasn't like 
instantly when I moved in, I had to do it. But after some period, it got way better. And then, yeah, I started seeing girls and I started being like social. And I, you know, instead of like just playing poker all the time and just, yeah. Yeah, I think COVID was that interesting time where it hit the brakes on life and we all had that time to go, right, what are we doing with our lives? How am I, how am I operating? And we had a lot more time by ourselves. We couldn't socialize, couldn't go outdoors, and we did have more time with our own thoughts. So it sounds like for you, you really uh, saw some of the maybe problems you were having with your lifestyle, your mental health overall, and you realized your lifestyle wasn't quite in alignment with the person you wanted to be and your goals. So you spent more time working on that, creating good sleep habits, eating better, going to the gym more, and all of a sudden you were a happier version and performing better. Yeah, I think sometimes if you ne we need to neglect our health and almost like watch our health suffer a little bit before we realize, wait a second, our health, mental health, physical health is so important. It drives everything that we do, our performance, our happiness, our enjoyment is driven by that. So yeah, it sounds like you did a, a good period over COVID to uh, realign that. So you said earlier that you identified yourself as a lone wolf, which I think you're the first guest we've had on the show who would identify themselves as a lone wolf. What do you feel like has made you go the poker path of learning and studying and proving? Obviously, you've had study partners somewhat by yourself. I know you're a sociable guy, very friendly. Why would you say you have been a lone wolf throughout your career? So the thing is, I've always had good friends in poker, but I would generally not discuss that much with players I, i've had some friends uh, that was asking me to study join the study this 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 but during my time i was like i have to do this by my own because if i know how i am as a person i'm very lazy so i'll just rely on what they do and not, not go through the process myself i had to do it myself because most of the time it's helpful let's say two people go to the gym it's like very common like two friends they go to the gym together and help each other out I'm like the complete opposite. If I do that, I slack, you know? I know how I am as a person. I start slacking. I start like talking instead. I'm not like a lone wolf in a form of like social way, like with friends or anything, but like when I have to do something, I need to be very focused on doing what's right for me, you know? This is where I need to be self-centered and doing what's best for me, you know? And over the years, it's gotten better. I'm just been like, okay, you do this, I do this, and we we see how it gives. We check results and we do this and see how the hands are and we help each other out. But like during those process years, like I, I was working on my own. I need to find out, I needed to find my own way kind of, because I was still young. I needed to like see how I am as a person, see how my poker skills are. And then I could sometimes like very rarely talk to friends about poker hands or this and this, but normally, no, I would just, um, uh, most for my own, just like, yeah, work for myself and then experiment. I did a lot of experimenting with like cool lines and cool things to do. And then, yeah, this is, yeah, I don't know. This is just the way it's been better for me. It, it's a bit self-centered, yes, because but that's what worked best for me, you know? That's yeah, the, I love that. I think it's understanding that what how you learn how you get better how you improve it sounds like for yourself you're, you're generally a sociable friendly guy but the certain context where you actually like to learn and study and go deep by yourself and really think for yourself so uh, for you you could quickly see like if you had a study partner or someone to learn with yes there's some benefits of that but also uh, you like going deep internally by yourself so yeah, i think it's a good self-awareness to figure that out it's quite probably rare i think as an attribute in terms of players being able to have success with that approach most players do almost hit a wall i know you've got friends around you who uh, you, you do talk strategy with so i'm, not, I'm sure you're not like fully a uh, lone wolf in it but overall your approach has been back yourself i've got the confidence to figure things out 
I'm curious to know, like when you couldn't figure things out, let's say you're having a rough patch of your career and you maybe uh, you were trying to figure out a strategy to beat a game, but it wasn't really having much success. How did you keep confidence during that patch? And did you, uh, during those patches, did you reach out to other players to get some inputs to, uh, to give yourself some insights? No, I'm too proud. So I would lose sleep instead. So I would lose sleep, think about it for three more hours and then fall asleep, wake up one hour later and do the same thing and just annoy myself with it. Yeah, I just, yeah, it's like self-pain inflicted was like super stupid when I think of it after, but it was just like, there are a very few amount of friends I reached out to like Espen and Preben and those guys like Norwegian and the Joachim and those guys and 2000 Kilo, which the, the Rene knows. And then, uh, yeah, I would talk some hands with them and tell them about what how things were going and these things, but most of the time I would be just like, this, this is something I have to go through by myself. And um, I think this is the best way because I don't want to be like taking advantage of them being helpful and trying to work hard on this, you know, I, I would feel bad basically. So, uh, and uh, yeah. So I just decided like, this is something you need to do for yourself. You can take it as a man or you can just sit, lay down on the floor and cry about it, you know? yeah it's obviously worked out well for you you find a way to uh, solve your own problems to get yourself out of dark holes to figure out the solutions to uh, anything that's came your way over the years so yeah it's, uh... it, it, it wasn't easy and sometimes i've gotten help don't misunderstand for sure i've gotten help but only from the friends i close closest to me and that i trust with this like things and and if it wasn't for them i probably wouldn't be here right now and i'm fully aware of that and i've always tried to help them back and if they need anything i would always like you know it's like you have your friends and then you have your real friends like good good friends and these type of friends are like the guys i would always help and trust and you know it's loyalty is a very big thing for me so if i feel like this is a going both ways I, I would like help them in any matter i could this is mm -hmm. basically how I work, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like you've got a close circle around you, people you trust, rely on, can help you with your problems. So uh, though we, we say a lone wolf, it's more like your approach to strategy was I'll figure things out myself rather than yes. I'll, I'll, I'll when, when it together. comes to poker, yeah. Yeah, mostly yeah. poker things, yeah. But overall, you've got a network around you that supports you. You've talked a lot about like how important is it your friends cheering you on, your family cheering you on. So you've got this ne nice network in a different way. A lot of players we spoke to have the network in the kind of poker circle. You've got more yeah. like a life a life circle around you, supporting you, cheering you on, which is, has helped you all the way. So uh, yeah, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're approaching the three hour mark. So final question I have for you is what would you like to be the main takeaway that the audience goes away from this conversation with? Oh, wow, man, you asked those questions. Huh? Uh, the main takeaway is to uh, try to have high level of self-belief and don't like, even though people around you try to pull you down, you just like, Forget about it. Try to be around good people, which, like you trust, and they're they'll helpful, and you can help them. And try to build a community. We can make you as, grow as a not only as a poker player, but as a person. Because if you're not happy with yourself, you probably won't be playing your best game of poker either. And always try to be serious and focused when you're doing it. Just like when if you do something, do it because you like it, not because of the money. Because if you do it for the money, you probably will get bored of it or you probably won't reach the goals 
at all or as fast as you want it to. If you if you really like it, you should put your heart and soul into it. And um, but like it, honestly, it's not for everybody. It's 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 tough business. It's super tough. It's super competitive. You play with. I, I mean, many of the poker players I've met are like the smartest people I know, and these people are smart and they're cool and they're nice and just. Yeah, try to be focused and uh, be ready for a hell of a journey. And uh, you'll get a lot of slaps in your face for sure. Uh, this is just, uh, maybe not all of you, but most of you will. And then uh, take it as a learning experience. And um, yeah, that's it, actually. I don't know. And try to see the big picture. <laughs> and yeah, a future EV is the most important thing. That was a great summary. You did a very good job of recapping the whole main topics there. So yeah, I'd like to thank you for your time. I know it's been a long conversation today and it's going to be very inspirational for everyone listening, following along your journey. It's been far from a straight line to the top. You've overcome a lot of obstacles, but you've done it with a smile on your face, with happiness, enthusiasm. So yeah, I'm definitely going to listen back to this episode myself and take some lessons. So yeah, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. And yeah, see you soon. It was very nice talking to both of you and uh, thank you for having me on. And uh, yeah, it was... Uh... I didn't feel like it went that fast. Three hours already. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, I felt like, uh, yeah, it was very fun. And uh, now I got my story out. I'm probably going to get a lot of questions, but <laughs> that's it. So I'll be ready to answer them. And uh, thank you for having me on, as I said. And uh, it was uh, really nice. That's a wrap. Thank you very much, Kaya Mokri, for sharing your wisdom. I really enjoyed this podcast. Adam, what were your main takeaways? Yeah, it was a super fun episode today. And some of the things I wrote down were around his risk to rewards kind of way calibrate stuff. He's very much on the philosophy of take big risks, learn to handle those, put yourself in situations over and over again. And when I first got in the conversation, I thought there was going to be an element of maybe confirmation bias, getting lucky with his shot takes. But in reality, it was the opposite. It was almost like everything he tried, every risk he took almost backfired. And this didn't deviate him. It didn't deter him. He just kept going for it because he's very calculated knowing the long-term EV of his decisions. And he was able to handle this. So it got me thinking as I was listening, how do you tolerate risk? How do you deal with risk? And one element is a level of acceptance of the risk. Like when things go badly, can you accept the outcomes that come with that? And then the next thing is, have you got the right corporate mechanisms and resources to handle it? I think for him, it was very obvious he did. And he's a very resilient person who, uh, every time I tried to ask like, specifically, what would you do when you were losing? It was almost like, oh, well, I just brush myself up, off and get on with it and just go again and go again. It's like this level of, I would just keep going. This, I'll show up over and over again, which I would call an element of resilience. Either he had that as a trait or he's, he's built that into his um, hardware as he's went through his career. Another one, confidence, always backs himself, always has this high belief in himself, which he mentioned as his, his own takeaway for the audience, having a high self-belief in yourself, even when others around you are telling you that you can't. I think it's a real, real strong one. Another one would be the growth mindset that he has and always learning. He mentioned every time he plays tough opponents, he doesn't really care if he wins or loses. He's there to learn. He's there to get better. He's there to improve uh, rather than make money in the short term, which I think is a real, I think I've, I've heard this like from a number of the guests that like they've got this innate um, ability to learn from players, but also uh, to score the dynamics of playing. Of, I'm, I'm here to learn, not here to win in the short term. I think Sonny was another guest that comes to mind. And then the big picture I thought was really interesting. Just remind yourself of what is the big picture? What am I doing this for? And for him, it's like the, the big journey of achieving stuff, but also uh, to be happy, to have fun, and to become a better version of himself on the journey. So I think we went on a, a very nice story arc. We started off with kind of the joking fun side, and then we, we understood exactly how we got to where he was and the character traits he built. So yeah, I think it's a really nice 
overall uh, podcast episode and hopefully a lot, of, uh, a lot of good nuggets for the audience to take away as well. How about yourself, Brandon? What were the main things you wrote down? Yeah, the, the, the confidence thing, actually, actually, I quoted myself. I don't know how narcissistic self-centered this is, but the act of confidence comes first, the feeling comes after I wrote down, which I think I said, not him. That's why I said maybe a little bit narcissistic. But then you also asked him, like, do you have any fear going in? And then he said no. And there were, I think, a couple of reasons for that. First of all, the trust in himself, right? He backs himself. He focuses on his qualities instead of his opponent's qualities. And then when he sees, I think he mentioned Phil Ivey, Antonius, David Jones, or whatever, just realize, listen, I'm playing against humans, okay? They're going to make mistakes as well, but I back myself. I back my strategy. And if reality turns out that actually my strategy wasn't good enough, so I lose, then that also doesn't matter because then I will learn. And with that uh, new things that I learn, I will come back and eventually I will be a winner. So that's kind of the cycle that he can keep on going through. And I'm sure there's a lot of players who listen with admiration and who have trouble overcoming this fear. So yeah, fear is just going to be be part of it. You have to kind of push through it and uh yeah, the only yeah, the only the only way to get a, get through fear is yeah, right through it. Through fear through it. That makes a lot of sense. Um also he talked a lot about the value of playing against better players because better players will point you out where you will have shortcomings in your game. And then if you reflect on that, they keep on putting you in tough spots. So you can reflect on your own game. He gave, I think, the example of uh, four six four, where he learned the lesson. Well, if I'm over bluffing and someone is over calling, maybe I shouldn't be over bluffing, right? And he, he saw him calling with a hand that should be a fault, or at least if we just follow the traditional solver. But then again, he showed up with a bluff that shouldn't be a bluff. So who was right? Well, probably in this case, Daryl was right, as he already said. But it's the ego that likes to point out what a bad call with kings, and that you don't reflect on your own player. Like, well, if he calls with kings, under which kind of circumstances is this a good call? Well, if I'm over-bluffing, am I over-bluffing is then the question. But that's a question towards yourself, which is often a bit harder to do because the ego doesn't really like that. We also talked a lot in the beginning as well about when solvers apply and that the first thing we have to ask ourselves, yeah, okay, which against who am I actually playing? Because the more tough your opponent, the more the tree will start to look like the solver because he's very studied. And I think he mentioned when he plays three-handed against David Jones, Linus, obviously he will follow the solver. Uh, but if he then plays live versus weaker opponents, it's just a matter of just figuring out what they have and make vacuum decisions uh, with your hand. We also actually touched a little bit on how then learning changes, especially the necessity when you go play MTTs because there's so many variables. The tree is so complex. You cannot be so nuanced. And again, like the bigger picture, having a more holistic, not what do I have to do on this board in this specific situation with this stack size, but no, what are general heuristics that I can use? How 10 BB plays, how 20 BB plays, how 30 BB plays. And then from there, with that knowledge, kind of try to do what do you think is correct based on the concepts that you made for yourself in these situations. Okay, we cannot we cannot nail everything, right? Poker is a game of mistakes. So if you make a little bit less mistakes on your opponents, you will have an edge and therefore you will win. Nobody plays perfect. All right, they were kind of the main takeaways. Really enjoyed this pod. If you enjoyed this pod, give it a like, subscribe to the channel, leave your main takeaways down below. Okay, our sponsor, GTO Wizard, will pick one of the main takeaways and you can win a free one-month GTO Wizard subscription. I want to thank again Kaya Mokri for sharing his story and his wisdom with the audience. Really enjoyed it. I want to thank Adam for co-hosting this pod. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Many more good podcasts coming up, so stay tuned. Thank you for tuning into today's episode and see you guys next time.